0: Captain's personal log, stardate 517, uh, 517, four, computer, what day is it? Stardate 51721.3. It's only been two weeks. I need to talk about this. I have to justify what's happened, what I've done. At least to myself. I can't talk to anyone else, not even to Dax. Maybe if I just lay it all out in my log, it'll finally make sense. I can see where it all went wrong, where I went wrong.
1: Another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast where we analyze the Star Trek universe from a non Trekkie perspective. I'm joined by my usual co host, Paul Wilson. Hello. And Matt Brothers. Hello. And we are also joined by a very special guest, Mr. Andrew Keats. Hello there. I love that you signified your entrance with the little lighting of the cigarette there. A bit like Ridley really Scott <laughs> <spot> and his <imparious. laughs> Yes, it's a very, very good observation. You're in a dark corner, you just lit up.
2: Yeah, (laughs) and indeed indeed the glass that I'm drinking from, which I'm sure we'll get
1: onto. We're sitting here drinking out of Cisco glasses, appropriate for the episode that we're going to be talking about today, In the Pale Moonlight from season six of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. But before we get into that, Andrew, tell us a bit about who you are and what you do. Who am
2: I? Um, I am a theatre director. I just directed Dark Sublime in the West End with Marina Sirtis, uh, Sophie Ward, Jacqueline King, Mark Gatiss, Simon Thorpe and Quaker Mills. But for most of my life, growing up as a lonely gay kid uh, in Bournemouth, um, Star Trek was probably my favourite TV show, all of them. And what was strange is growing up as a little boy, I would seek out science fiction societies when I was, you know, sort of 12, 13 years old. And I grew up running a Star Trek convention um, with some very dear friends and later would make friends with a lot of the guests, a lot of the names and the actors that I'm sure you discuss on this podcast. And then from being a theatre director, the lovely thing is, is a lot of my heroes from my childhood I would then work with in the theatre and and the performing arts. So uh, I am a fan of Star Trek and I'm very honoured to have a lot of the people who... Uh, we're involved in making those great TV series as um, as very very dear friends.
3: As you see it with him from uh, Bournemouth. <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs>
1: yes, like, I've said this. Yes, I've said this. I was we, say it, say he, he was f- a he was a pro. I was a Broccinous college. That's how I we'll know. It. That's how I know you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. no,
3: I'm not that completely positive. I was gonna say no. you two would have been perfect friends. <laughs> yeah, you, would have be, you, you would have been hosting
1: sci-fi well, well, conventions was, if you could have. Well, then well, then I you I would have both society, had at least one like, friend. Like, like <laughs> <Like, laughs> <laughs> like I
2: think it's because you're prettier than me. <laughs> 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 I mean, I was a fat lonely kid with a lisp. I thought thought like this. Uh, John DeLancey. I remember meeting John DeLancey and he went It's Lancey. you're Q cute, and you're in hand that rocked the cradle, and I don't understand that movie yet. Yeah, I no, Bournemouth, Tory fucking Bournemouth, and um is it any wonder that I left? Uh, you know, ran away. <laughs> right, right. You know, but in all fairness, actually, I honestly think, and, and and you know, Star Trek. I'm sure we'll we'll geek out and quite loads of anecdotes. But you know, when you're a lonely kid, and there's this vision of the future, admittedly with no gay people, and we'll get into that later. Um, but there is this vision of the future where if you're different, you're listened to, or indeed just listened to, actually. Um, and like me, I was growing up reading Shakespeare and, uh, and Ibsen and Chekhov and other great sort of playwrights and these amazing stories about what it is to be human. I mean, Star Trek at its worst is a space show, uh, at its best is about self-discovery. Star Trek was an escape for me that was profound. And, it, and it's no wonder I really went into theatre. It's command of language, it's understanding of structure, it's phenomenal music. Star Trek still, I think, in the 90s, that orchestra... Um, is is just as important as the actors, um, and and it really really shaped me. It really really shaped me, and it was it was mine. You know, it wasn't Eastenders and such like. It was it was my show, and I used to long going to long for going to Wimborne Market and spending eight pounds a week, which is a lot of money then, to my mum in the council house we lived in, buying a Star Trek: The Next Generation VHS cassette. And I would cherish them. I think there was maybe three episodes, two episodes per take? Two episodes two episodes, that, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: And it would be, you'd buy them and you'd always ask, can I have the shiny cover, please, because they were the old ones that they had. And, you know, all oh, that case is a bit damaged. If you got a nicer one? Oh, I won't buy that one this weekend. the window, right? Okay. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that has got the sunlight on it, hasn't it? Um... <laughs> And I know exactly why I thought it was two episodes, because the blockbuster releases, uh-huh. which would sometimes be so dodgy, would have four episodes that you could rent. Mm-hmm. But that didn't go of my collection, so I'd never let anyone buy the list at Christmas. Oh, it's so funny. But it was my—it it was mine. It was fantastical, and it was... Um, I do believe, I, I believe it's the greatest American television franchise ever made. And uh, as, as I said to you off the podcast, it's so many of my heroes as a kid have slept on the very sofas that you're sat on now. And it is quite... Funny sometimes when, you know, someone is in, in the UK because they've got a convention, you know, and I'm in the morning cooking bacon and eggs or something in the kitchen, and there's somebody I used to watch at 13 years old in their pants going, you know, can I borrow a toothbrush?
3: Yeah. You can just <laughs> flick on Channel 3 That is Dominic Keating. <laughs> that is absolutely <laughs> Dominic <laughs> Keating. <laughs> you just, yeah, flick on the TV and like, oh, what's this on? I've just got a mirror vision going on here. But which series was your entry? Because I'm guessing around this time it would have been Next Gen.
2: Well, you say that. Mm. I loved the films. Um, for me, I think the first six Star Trek films are that's my happy place. That's uh-huh. my. I'm really really hungover. I don't want to speak to anyone in the world. I will put on the Wrath of Khan. I must have seen the Wrath of Khan twenty eight thousand times. In fact, as you see in my in my um, in my hallway uh, on one side of the hallways, all the shows I've directed on the side of the hallways is a is a, is a Wrath of Khan poster. Um, Framed traffic of Calm poster There's no blue tack in this flat. Not our flat. It's
1: not tack. It really was. It,
2: it really was the films. Next Generation was obviously great. Um, I, you know, I think Voyager did some really great things. I think it could have done so much more in the time it was being made. The original series, I can quote backwards, but to be honest with you, um, it's Deep Space Nine. I think Deep Space Nine is that was when it was telling stories that I found compelling. I think I know we'll go into the episode, but it's something bugs me about Deep Space Nine, which is people say, they talk about television series in the long form, and they go, well, you know, Netflix really pioneered that, you know, coming up with a long story arc that goes over 13 episodes. You want to go, um, Deep Space Nine, right? That was, for me, the Dominion War is of Greek proportions. And, I've, and, and I think it's really important we say it. I mm. think the casting that they went with, I think to start a Star Trek series about a black family that has been torn apart because of war and, um, and politics and and to put a black captain on a station that doesn't move anywhere. And of course, you know, they need to move it close to the wormhole before you fucking write in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's about conflict. It's about sharing a space station with terrorists and religious fanatics um and business and let's just say money's back in the twi- in the twenty-fourth
1: century. Yeah, there's Cisco's <laughs> Latinum <laughs> and- from? Yeah. <laughs> has got no salary.
3: Yes, like we, the he things. must have said a lot of times how next gen seems to be devoid of conflict intentionally. Yeah, Deep Space yeah, yeah, Nine hits everyone point. in yeah, a in yeah. a place where there's nothing but conflict. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah.
2: Yeah. And it's and, and I've got to say I, I really honestly think that Deep Space Nine has the finest writing of all the series. And and I've got to be on some of the finest some, some of the finest actors. Uh it's very, very sad. I know um, the name that came up earlier, you know, Ray- uh, René Abishonois, for example. It is a tragedy that we've just lost him. Mm-hmm. And one of the nicest men I ever met. Um, Andrew Robinson, who we will, I hope, really talk about today, yeah. who is just amazing. City Girl for Deal, or Alexander City, depending on what name is going by and our visitor. Um, and Avery Brooks, you know. Um, yes, there can be a touch of the old ham of Avery Brooks, Um, But if I wasn't going to be talking about this episode, I'd be talking about Far Beyond the Stars, Mm. which as an episode is, it's got to be up there. It's one of the finest pieces of television ever made, Mm.
3: um, let alone it being Star Trek. Mm. Well, should we just quickly check in with where we are with with Deep Space Nine, because we've done our introductory episode where we had... (laughs) Alice Barrett, come on with a guest pick to introduce us the crossfire. show. Crossfire, very, very good.
2: She chose Crossfire? That was her... Yeah. She's insane. <laughs> the, the
1: idea of those episodes basically was a real big fan of that show to come on, pick an episode that she thought would be... doesn't necessarily have to be your favourite, just that she thought the good kind of introductory point for a new viewer, something that might get them... Heard. And she chose Crossfire, I believe because... Of the character kind of like work. And she really. fundamentally has no taste. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With Oda. She could have chosen Duet. Duet, it, which We've seen pro- Duet, oh, which we, is yeah. incredible. Oh, oh, yeah. I cannot yeah, stop yeah. talking it's about Duet. Duet is still. Oh my god. That's still my favourite episode. It's a riddle. It's an enigma. Well, we interviewed the director of And they
3: didn't hear
2: the crying of the little children. Amazing.
3: It is just amazing. Yeah, was that. Conway that was Conway yeah, yeah yeah
1: we interviewed James L. Conway who directed that episode uh, I think Yeah, I just Ruby. gushed for a, like a good solid five minutes and he was like ah oh, very perceptive yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Really <laughs> he was not the performer though let's make it really really clear
1: get <laughs> <laughs> <Give laughs> some <Yeah>. lovely shots <laughs> since then we've started doing our revisited episodes mm. where we can not turn the tables and we get someone on who's not in Star Trek at all we pick an episode for them to watch and we've just done our Next Generation yeah. episode so we've oh. still yeah, had Deep, deep Space it. Nine yeah yeah yeah, although, although we picked we down good episodes <laughs> of that.
2: that. Like the inner light, light the jump head. I was literally just gonna say, for fuck's sake everybody, I'm allowed to, I hope I'm allowed to s to, to yeah, see. <laughs> look, as if well. I'm on this podcast I will smoke and I will drink, uh, I will swear, and that is why Marina Certes is such a good friend. Uh, the uh look, the inner light is a great episode, but can we just get over it? You, we know you like the flute, we know it's all very very lovely and we like the saucepan and it's all very you. very nice. It's and... <laughs> my pick. Yeah, I know. The inner, light, Fuck your pick. Like, the inner Light is a beautiful episode, but for fuck's sake, everybody, get over it. It is a lovely story, but there is better Next Generation episodes out there than The Inner Light. Family, which is the next, which is the next episode after the Best of Both Worlds, is a phenomenal episode, which it's I think good, yeah. touches mm-hmm. the heartstrings mm-hmm. and Patrick Stewart does a performance That is 20,000 times better than what he does in The Inner Light. The Inner Light is Patrick Stewart... Wearing basically a plastic mask the goblin head. and a goblin hat, <laughs> um, and for some reason his wife doesn't really get older, but that's fine. And he plays a recorder. Well, that's to lessons, real life. lessons, <laughs> lessons. Let's let's talk about lessons. Like, look, lessons. Lessons is another one where they bring back the Ressican flute, which is a penny whistle by the way, because the Ressican flute obviously doesn't exist. Uh, when you've got lessons and you've got him falling in love, and he sends somebody, and um, what's her name? Um, come on. No. Oracle, who, what's her name, um, the woman who falls in love with, uh, the... Lessons. Oh, oh um, in Lessons. What's no, her it's name? So it's not Vash. Vash. Well he calls oh, them, everybody. Even Vash. <laughs> Why does no one know this poor woman's name? It's sort of like, you know, uh, uh <laughs> Ah, Vash, it's good to see you. Well, Vash. Well, we learn her name. In fact, you know what, did Somebody you know
1: today. did you notice as a it's problem. Vash Rendar. Yeah. <laughs>
2: did you notice there's a moment in the episode we're about to talk about when no one knows if it's beta Z, um beta Z or um Who pronounces it wrong? Beta Neil before Zod. It's something like it's something like And <laughs> uh, uh, that's It's Andrew Rowe he calls it beta Z. He puts an inflection I uh, an ill he puts an inflection on and everything, but he goes, Ah, well, another attack on Beta is <laughs> <laughs> <That's weird. laughs> It's weird. It's not the way it's said uh, But no, look, I could literally spend this entire podcast naming episodes from every single um series, whether it's um uh you know City on the Edge of Forever mm, and the original series. Episode. Um whether we I mean the Deep Space Nine, I could go through them all. The Visitor is another great episode, obviously. Um
3: Give us your top animated pick.
2: Ah. Oh, <laughs>
1: A really tough one because mentioned I mentioned th- the Guardian of Forever earlier you have called yourself the Guardian I am the Guardian of Forever so <laughs> make uh, second appearance in that Random spot one, right? just
2: like, it does. It also makes random appearances in things like Star Trek Online, just because they're like, how the hell do we try and make this convoluted <laughs> universe? The Guardian of Forever. That'll send us back to the twenty third century. <laughs> Favorite animated series is oh, I suppose it's the I forget its name that where we revisit the Tribbles. That's quite sweet. oh yeah, isn't it?
1: More yeah, troubles. Something more like more tribbles, troubles. Something, tribbles, something like,
2: like, that. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. another Tribble Stakeout. <laughs> <laughs> um, Voyager. Um, I think Mortal Coil is. Uh, Ethan Phillips, Ethan Phillips' performance in that is, is breathtaking. Mortal, it's where it's where he he dies and they bring him back to life and he he wonders where the the gathering tree is and when he was promised. Oh, getting really emotional, because he wanted to see his sister and his family and they're promised that when they die they'll all meet at the gathering tree, and there is no gathering tree when he dies and he just goes, well, what's the point of living? Everything I was told is a is a lie. And it, Ethan Phillips, or Johnny Phillips, is as his real name is. Um, who's in Avenue five at the moment? Have you all noticed that?
1: I haven't seen Avenue five yet. No, I do uh, watching uh, fucking Crossfire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love Armando Iannucci stuff, so I definitely want to check it out. Uh,
2: but no Ethan Phillips is um is the is in it, which is rather sweet. Um, I, I mean, Voyager's got some great, uh, some fabulous episodes. Fam- is it family that's in? Um, what is it when the Doctor forms his own holographic family, and then Belana's
1: like, "Let's fuck that up." Don't have to see no, that. Well, I if it. It's a Doctor-centric one. We're going to be on that because it was a, uh, it was a uh, really good. Oh, latent image, latent which is what yeah, Sophie chose when she came on for Voyager, which was an amazing episode.
2: Yeah, it's yes, Robert Picardo doing a little bit of ham there, isn't
0: it? Uh, what, what would you do, Captain? If perhaps somebody was meddling with your program,
1: <laughs> I'm like
2: oh lord! <laughs> he also does it in Darkling as well, But he turns into a mad sort of mad doctor. But Bob Picardo again, another really, really great actor, and probably his greatest work is Inner space and Gremlins. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, we we Innerspace did we did in space as uh, part of Spotlight the movies. We had Nick DeSemlin from Empire Magazine come on and talk about that, and that was yeah wicked. And Picardo's amazing at that. You. Count the movies as your kind of like, you know, that's your happy place. Yeah. So was that the kind of the first thing you saw of Star Trek? Was it like you seeing one of the films? No,
2: the, do the you know I think No, because it's um typical bloody Star Trek conversation. I always loved science fiction. So I suppose it was probably me, me watching a lot of BBC science fiction Because really.
1: you're a big Doctor Who guy, aren't you? Big Doctor yeah, Who guy,
2: yeah. um Big Doctor Who guy, well, classic Doctor Who I love. Mm. Um f- for similar reasons that I say about Star Trek, and the Doctor Who was fundamentally um, populated by theatre actors because mm. you've got to remember sort of in the 60s and 70s television's new so you haven't got people who go oh I need to do television and film it's you know I've just finished a lovely job at the National and now I'm doing uh, what's it called darling <laughs> Doctor Who I'm I'm playing um, a Dalek whatever that is um, <laughs> a Dalek and, a Dalek <laughs> don't know hopefully there's a vocal, vocal coach Stop I'll be able to help you um, they said my size will come in handy uh, like the, 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 so I, I always love science fiction but I, to be honest with you my life wasn't being portrayed in the real world, so so I longed to, you know, there was no gay people, there was no really working class people unless it was EastEnders, and EastEnders, you know, I hardly saw myself there. Mm. Um so I disappeared into literature and science fiction. Um the works of Asimov were really important books. I really spoiler for Star Trek Picard, I really enjoyed the recent reference where Randomly, Picard's got an Asimov book, uh, Asimov book and says, "I don't like science fiction." Well, why have you got Asimov then? <laughs> uh, where am I going with this? Uh, how did it all start? Just escapism, misery, um, a great love of uh, gay works, and you know, if you're broadening your, if you're constantly looking to find empathy for people like you, then then things like science fiction mm. and theatre is a very obvious place to go because mm. you know, when I'm when I'm seeing we mentioned duet when I I'm, I'm seeing a Cardassian a essentially dealing with the crimes of, of a concentration camp. Um, I'm not looking at his prosthetic makeup and going, Oh, his head forehead looks like it's got a spoon. I'm looking in the eyes of a of a person weeping and trying to come to terms with what it is to be mm. human. And to be honest with you, as a very suicidal, <coughs> very unhappy thirteen-year-old, um I needed to exercise the, these feelings of shame and loneliness that I had as a, as a, as a gay kid. Um, and, you know, Star Trek could have been better. Mm. And I get really annoyed when people say to me, Ah, uh, well, don't forget there was the Trillus, we in Deep Space Nine. Um, you know, where they had the lesbian kiss. And I'm like, yeah, I wasn't looking for tokenism. It would have been nice... And I'm great i I think it's great that Discovery's done it now with yeah. Stametz and they've done it very beautifully. You know, and there are other I mean, we we should do a whole episode on LGBT representation in all of Star mm. Trek. In fact Kate Mulgrew always says, We got that wrong. We should have had we should have had a gay character. But you know, it was, people say it was a different time. Star Trek is now it will bite. doing something about that. Sorry, my pussy does bite.
1: <laughs> my cat, Toby Page, um, he, he's, uh, has joined us. Yeah, he's in, coming and, and joining me. Ah, of security. Very cute.
3: Very cute cat. But, I think you pondered. Well, this, sure this is the thing so many people can't look past the the sci-fi thing of oh it's just robots and aliens but it's like it uses that to tell deeper
1: stories mm. and that's that's primarily what it's for and it's done really well it's fucking mad when people now turn around and be like oh Star Trek now it's been taken over by woke oh, and progressives yeah. and everything like that it's like that's the whole point. That's what always. Ne- awesome. Let's address this
2: because we've all seen the social media post when they're like, you know, um, Star Trek wasn't meant to be political. It's That's like, it. did you watch the original? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know what? What's really interesting about this particular episode is, you know, Roddenberry set out from the start to do like Shakespeare did, which is if you have a fantastical background, so space, or in Shakespeare, for example, *Fair Verona*, mm. um, we can criticize um, the the monarchy. We can we can criticize. Politics. We can criticise all things, but because it's not set in England, mm-hmm. and in the same way that you know Star Trek has always been fun- fundamentally um, socialism in space, I never understand when I when I when I've been with friends who have been guests at Star Trek conventions, you know, and you've got you know gun and rednecks. I always think to myself, like, why do you watch
3: this? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. it. What, you, oh, like, yeah. Yeah,
2: and you haven't got the message. Don't yet. you? Don't you get I it? Right? Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> I love Star Trek, but I can't stand those gays. And you think, right? Again, the, the message of Star Trek is: yeah. Do you just watch
3: it for the phasers? Yeah. Is that it? Anyone different from me? No, please. No,
2: I mean, I mean, Brent Spiner got in trouble. I remember on social media, he he was like, you know, yes, it's socialism in space, but don't forget, we did turn up on every planet we arrived at with a phaser and a gun. Yeah. You know, like we come in peace, shoot to kill. As the great the firm says in Star Trekking, um, you know there is an element of you, you you like us, right? Phaser extended. You know there is that that element of it. The reason I sort of chose this episode is you know, and don't get me wrong, if the inner light is on, I will curl up on my sofa. Um, and then sit at my piano and, and play the theme and cry <laughs> quietly to myself. What I The reason I chose it is there, there's something very operatic about it. In my background in theatre, I think that's relevant. It is simply, I believe, the antithesis of what Star Trek was meant was originally, mm, originally meant to do. Mm. You know, it's, it's a bottle episode, and I'm sure for many reasons, although in, in all fairness, I had the best writers Star Trek ever had on Deep Space Nine. It's a bottle episode, which is a, an episode where... You know, if they are doing loads of big visual effects, they need some cheaper episodes where a story is written where you just use the sets that they already had built
4: mm-hmm.
2: and ultimately it's not going to cost too much because we're in season six and, guys, we've got to spend the budget somewhere else. Um, Duet being the other great example. Duet's a great yeah. example. I've got to be honest with you. The deep, nearly all of the um, Deep Space Nine Bottle episodes are the, are the best because it just... The characters are the, look, let's say what it is, the first two seasons of Deep Space Line, no one knows what the hell is going on. And then season three comes in, and you start, you know, and the characters are sort of established. I mean, the characters you meet in the in the emissary compared to the ones that you that you say literally goodbye to in what you leave behind. It, you know, you've seen you've literally seen them grow. Sir so Lofton, you've literally seen from prepubescent teenager to Giant, you know, um, and him looking out that window, you go, oh my God, I watched you grow up. I literally watched you grow up. And Avery Brooks, Avery Brooks, you know, look, that representation of, of a, a black actor and a popular black actor, that his family, to bring in a whole black person's family just to see them living a life, you know, just to see him coming in from a hard day's work and kissing Cassidy Yates and that's fine. I think that would have made, I think that would have subversively done a lot of good. Um, and on top of that, you know, I, I think I think he's a an extrovert, and there's all sorts of stories about Avery Brooks, which I'm not really interested in talking about. I'm only really interested in talking about his work on Deep Space Nine. It is episodes like this where you go, your acting style, like William Shatner in some respects, is um, theatrical and sometimes grand and sometimes maybe we want to call it hammy. But let's say as it is, a lot of Star Trek's backdrop is hammy. Indeed, it has the most outlandish costume, makeup, over-the-top music, and that theatricality and that sense of opera that this episode brings, with the delicacy of detail in the writing, I think is exquisite in the same way that a play would be.
1: So let's get into this then. Go on. Um, This is essentially the first of a new kind of strand of episodes we're gonna be doing where we get a fan of Star Trek on to talk about one of their favourite episodes or an episode they're really passionate about. Could be for any reason, because I suppose they could passionately hate an episode that they might want Oh, let me do that well. one next. Yeah, yeah there we <laughs> go. It sounds like you've got some choice for that. Not the inner light. <laughs> no, I love the inner light. Um, but Andrew has chosen... Alamoraine,
2: two, three, four. Alamoraine, count three. Well, that's, I that's... Tell me. No, it's, so, oh, one. it's like season one. Yeah, it's so. a Deep Space Nine. Um... When there was.
1: Is it it the game? It is the. Move Along Home! It's called Move Along Home. Move Along Home. Because it's in that that Christmas um version. Have you seen that? They uh they simply having a wonderful Christmas time. <laughs> yeah. But it's simply having a wonderful DS party. Yeah. <laughs> that is in it, where they do that elaborate. You also got
2: the random wishes of horses where, you know, Rumble Stilkin <laughs> turns up.
1: Great. What is this show? But Andrew has chosen in the Pale Moonlight, season six, episode 19 of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, first broadcast on the 15th of August, nineteen ninety eight. Blackmail.
3: We had an agreement!
1: I'm making a new agreement, treachery.
0: What we need to do is bring the Romulans into the war on our side. Deception. When they're finished with us, they're coming after you. Tactics of war. No one wants to see the Dominion destroyed more than I do. Or Cisco's weapons of choice. As far as you're concerned, you're working for
1: me. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Written by Michael Taylor, although he admits that Ronald D. Moore did a complete rewrite on it. His, his name is on the episode, but I think you can see Ronald D. Moore's fingerprints mm-hmm. all over this if you're a fan of Battlestar. Uh, directed by Victor Lobel, uh, who was a veteran kind of TV director who directed some other episodes of DS9 and Voyager as well, and loads of other shows. Uh, Michael Taylor also wrote The Visitor... Mm-hmm. Um, from season four, excellent episode directed by David Livingston, previous guest on the yeah. show. Great episode, along with loads of episodes of Voyager. But like I say, he says that basically Ron D. did a complete rewrite. It was sort of unrecognisable from his original scripts. Great. yeah Because this is the changing from originally this is pitched as like um, Jake Cisco has a bit of bit of dirt yeah. on his dad and going to confront him with it. Yeah, they just never kind of reconcile a way to actually break this six year like you know relationship they built up on screen and. There's it
2: would yeah. not shock me, I, I don't know this verbatim, but it would not shock me if the person that did not allow that to happen was Avery Brooks. Because he is he is very clear mm-hmm. about talking about how the family was important to him mm. as an actor. And, you know, as we see beautifully in Far Beyond the Stars, where it's not just, you know, it's not just about a black family, but it's we're a black family in, in space and... I'm running the station, you know. The clever thing they did was separating them when they leave the station and then Cisco gets on the ship and is like, oh, shit, where's Jake? Oh, damn, he stayed because he's a reporter and that's where the story is. That was much cleverer than some, oh, it smashes
1: up for the sake of finding a new plot. Yeah,
4: yeah.
1: No, really glad it did that because <clears throat> I'm looking at this and it's so tightly written. It's like, there wouldn't be the room. I don't think for that whole drama. Like, you know, it just... Is more than enough going on with just Avery Brooks talking to himself and working it through. And it's that
2: start. I think as, as a director, you know, we, we, we look at how, how we present pieces. Do we have direct address? Do we have a fourth wall? You know, and all these things. But that looking up at the camera with the very glasses we have in our hands, that the Blade Runner glasses, <laughs> I should add, because I think that's the director going, come on, it's a Blade Runner glass, this ain't your Trek. Deal with it. Deep Space Nine's in its stride. The writer's room, I think, is the strongest it's ever been in the series. And that direct address of... I'm going to challenge you. Mm. I'm going to sit in front of you and challenge what you think Star Trek is.
3: Because, yeah, it starts in the future with Cisco addressing us while he's doing a personal log and kind of setting up the story. <laughs> and hysterically
2: so- not being able to remember star dates. <laughs> and, and, and not very convincingly. I've got think, I'm sure he was like, oh, this is ridiculous. I'm a cat. I, all I do is say fucking star dates. i Log, just this, that, and the other... Um, but he does say to not want, He should have tried to sit on his couch and just try, slightly miss it. That would have also. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, surely computers are more more developed now than you have to engage that amount of brain power. Captain's log, insert date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that direct address which I think lets you sew inside mm. where where you're going with this. You know, it's not it's not a, a great big shot of here's a load of exposition from seven characters in Ops. It's it's just me and you on this, yeah. And it's very noir-y. Mm. Like I think it's like you know it was like two weeks ago. Whatever the day we ruined my life. Okay. <laughs> Deep Space Nine is the most noirish. The film yeah. the film noir, literally down to the design. I mean, whoever. The lighting design is beautiful for a television series. Highly impractical when it comes to running a space station.
3: Yeah.
2: People in Ops must just be like, "I oh, haven't got a torch. Just, just, <laughs> where do
3: they put my pen? <laughs> I, can't,
2: I can't see my console. <laughs> um, like It's just, you know... And especially these... I've I well, watched it back a few times. Even down to the, the beautiful sort of acutograms that, that Michael Acuda made. You know, the, the, the computer panels. You know It's so sort of charming looking back at them. Mm. You can kind of still see, particularly now they've been cleaned up so much, you can see that they've desperately struggled to, to try and get the light so it's equal across the Cars boards, you know. And,
1: mm. But and it reminds me of be a Quasar in Bournemouth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> coming out the goddamn walls! Yeah. But I think Cisco's confession, uh, narrating it throughout the episode, makes it really accessible, because you were saying, Matt, about kind of where we're up to with DS9, yeah. because obviously all of us, you know, the whole point of this podcast is that most of us, Weren't uh, certainly you and me, Matt, weren't big uh checkheads like before. Yeah. Like this podcast started, Paul had a bit of an obsession with like TNG and stuff like that. But there was still with DS9, that was a bit it's of a blind, blind spot. spot for so, yeah, you. Yeah. And so, all of us, I would say, you know, haven't made it to this point no, no, in no, the no. narrative so, yet. So, we and it is very arc heavy. As soon as you get to that season two finale when the Jemadara introduced, that's kind of when it becomes arc heavy as it were and I thought watching this that oh we might be a bit lost but actually it's completely accessible you're told everything you need to know this is the good timing
3: of this episode really because yeah
1: our DS9 revisited episode
3: is still to come the last one we did was TNG so knowing that's the next one I have started watching more DS9 and then I heard what this pick was and I was like oh it's a DS9 one that's great so I've been kind of working through Choice Eps and even though this is a jump forward because I'm kind of It's a
2: massive jump forward
3: Season 4 but it's still standalone enough and a standalone enough story to get what's going on I think that long
2: arc you know the fact that they are able to sustain um, a longer story arc than any Netflix show has ever Mm -hmm. done and this episode comes in which is fundamentally about we need to get the Romulans in the war everyone is dying You know, the casualty reports are coming in, and I think that is the most powerful um, theme that Deep Space Nine uses in this series. All great drama does it, Chekhov does it, and Ibsen does it, where what is happening in the background of society is affecting the figures that we're seeing in the drama. And fundamentally what is happening is every day they're waking up and you get the impression that, Hundreds of people are dying every single day and Cisco is either putting their names up on the board and everyone is losing. We are losing the Star Trek universe that we love. Oh. All those good people, you know, the Saratoga and all the other ships, you know, those, you know, the Enterprise would have be, God knows where the Enterprise ever was during the Dominion War, probably hiding. The Star Trek universe is becoming corrupted by the devil as such, the Dominion. And what I love about this is it's something we call in drama a Faustian pact coming from Dr. Faustus. Which is asking the devil in this case. I'm saying that figuratively before anyone says he's cold are not a devil. <laughs> um, that the Garrick, and oh God, I can't wait to talk about Garrick. Garrick um, asking essentially somebody who is the antithesis of what Star Trek was to do something underhand. Um, and he and and Andrew Robinson has that beautiful little speech where he says to Sisko, "It could be an awfully bloody business." And indeed, he even talks about. You know, after Garrick fight, after he tries to find out if, you know, are the Cardassians going to invade Romulus, um, he says, you know, um, all of my informants are dead. Yeah, all the Bothans are gone. Just come. And Sisko doesn't really care. Sisko just goes, <laughs> I'm very sorry. Yeah. But the moment <laughs> we get to the denouement of who eventually dies, two people, for the sake of the Federation, I mean, he beats the shit out of Garrick.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, yeah.
2: um... And then obviously he goes. And, and I think what is lovely, and, and indeed, Memorial from people like this talk about it, um, it is that it is Watergate. That's what it is. Mm. It's can an event, a small event, a turning of one small cog affect an enormous cog at the end, which is essentially if we lie, if yeah. we manipulate, can a greater good be achieved? And that is why it's, I believe mm. the style is not that of Star Trek, mm-hmm. but the philosophy. The idea mm. of, you know, should I go back in time and kill Hitler? All those wonderful philosophical concepts this addresses is sometimes doing calculated evil. Will it lead to a mm. greater good? It's almost Nietzsche. Mm. Yeah. And for me, that feels really Star Trek to explore that concept.
1: There's yeah, one well, aspect to it, though, that really gets me is it going is that, OK, you can achieve the right outcome, but if you're found out, you double down on the fact you're going to be destroyed. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah. to Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and
2: frighteningly so. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's not always that's right. that's scary. It's like, you know, you've just given them every excuse to, like, turn on you. You're only hastening your demise if this goes the wrong way. So the stakes couldn't be higher in this episode. It's- yeah. I'd be, the, the stakes feel so high. And the fact that that's communicated so well, especially to people like us who haven't actually really seen all of the build up to this and you completely get it just immediately you're told everything you need to know that you're knee deep into war like you say the casualty reports are such a oh, economic yeah. way of getting that across in terms of going oh shit things have got really fucking bad here this is really fucking dark yeah. and that build up when we've you the, sound like uh, oh mate B.A.Z like, <laughs> <laughs> when he BZ? comes in and the Romnian guy goes like it's a fight
4: Oh, yeah,
2: like,
1: oh, oh shit! We were all waiting to be the first one to do the Vreenak thing. <laughs> 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 I did okay, take a screenshot that moment. <laughs> it was, it took, <laughs> you know Are you gonna just have that as a gift for you <laughs> yourself <laughs>
0: If Vreenak discovered that the data ride was a forgery, if he realized that we were trying to trick them into the war, it could push the Romulans even farther into the enemy camp. They could start to openly help the Dominion. If worse came to worst, they could actually join the war against us. I had the distinct feeling that victory or defeat would be decided in the next few minutes.
2: Something else into this as well, and and as as um, as uh, this is, I'm sure I've gathered. Um, I am a renowned homosexual. Um, the campness influence. In fact, there is a blue plaque that we will see. There's a blue plaque on my corridor which says um, Andrew Keats, uh, multi award winning theatre director, a notorious homosexual, <laughs> thrives here. And my dates, um, which was a gift. You know, there's, there's some real campness to this that I I I kind of I kind of really enjoy. I mean. It's a very flirtatious episode, as indeed so many evil or dark stories are. I mean, there's that really weird moment, sort of after we've, we've got past the titles, where Dax and Cisco are sort of flirting, where it's the, so, I'm a Romulan, what would you say to me? Um, <laughs> and it gets to a moment where they just stop and you think... They're gonna kiss. <laughs> I mean, they just go. <laughs> well done, no, old man. <laughs>
1: this
2: is this is exactly what we do. We'll we'll just play out what the conversation could be, and I'll just decide to go against all of my staff lead training. So that's quite camp. You've got Quark, who is more concerned later after he uh, is stabbed by Griffin Tola, who is also exceptionally camp. Um, and he's and he's and, and he's like, "I'm um, Quark. What do I need for you not to press charges? Well, there's my shirt. And you look at it, and it's a sort of le- like grey leopard
1: print." Quark
2: Quark's got very feminine <laughs> uh, I think we can call that a bribe but he, in fact Quark says doesn't he It's the is it the 69th Wall of Acquisition um, fans will I'm sure tweet me yeah. don't at me I won't respond is it the 69th Wall of Acquisition 80. which is Every, 68th rule, is it? 85th, I thought. Oh, no, 95th. 95th. I've just gone with 69th, haven't I? Because it's too obvious.
1: <laughs> Whatever it's it is, position acquisition on the shelf? I, think like, I, don't, like, like, I don't have.
2: <laughs> um, but it, it's Every Man Has His Price. And again, that's, that is the theme of the episode. Last cocaine Cowboys. Really? Yeah. Yes. No Star Trek fan is going to know what that is. <laughs> uh, and if there's one thing I never want to see, it's a Star Trek fan on cocaine. But there's that, but the campness, the camp thing, with um, Griffin Tolar, the very strange sounding guy who's ended up, you know, about to be executed and oh, he, like, gets, yeah, he gets yeah. some it's a real prediction for Orion slave girls. Five of them. I, well, no, the, <laughs> R6. He said, I was watching it back. What is amazing, and this is, you know, no, I, I said to you, I, I was thinking about holodecks and Star Trek. So it's the way, you know, Sisko is like, you're not working for Starfleet, you're working for me. And he goes, oh. And immediately <laughs>
4: immediately
2: assumes filth and goes, five, maybe five or six Orion slave girls. Mm, yeah. And he does a laugh at the end, which is which is, which is,
3: <laughs> which is like this, ain't this first time. It's just terrible.
2: <laughs> and I was thinking I was I was thinking about this before you guys were, were coming. Because, you know, the way that sex is portrayed in in, in Star Trek. Um, you know, it's all it? well, <laughs> sort of, sort of. Um, I mean, when Worf and Dax get together, that's a bit, you know, I've got that yet. A bit of BDSM there, um, or, or KDSM. I might speed up now. <laughs> it's
1: quite, yeah, that's pleasure quite, planet. It's quite Think a scene.
2: Star Trek fans listening are thinking, oh, I oh, yes." Yeah. Um, but you know, the start. You know, people don't kiss properly in Star Trek, especially Odo and Kira. What the hell was that all about? Um, they don't kiss properly. They don't really have any sex. Unless a holosuite is involved. Mm. Which makes me think, like, you know, especially on Deep Space Nine, and you've got, indeed my mate Marina when she was the goddess of empathy for... Them. Those holodecks, mm. I hope, are routinely scrubbed
1: down. down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, that's the thing. It's kind of ahead of its time because it's kind of seeing the future of the people get hooked on internet porn and that. And well, it is basically that. You know, but this is why to. this is
2: why we needed gay people in Star <laughs> Trek because the <laughs> Federation. The only time they seem to have anything that is beyond vanilla sex, it's in Quark's Suites. If there were gay people on the station, we'd be doing it in our quarters. Do you know what I mean? You, you, be, you know, doing the the com badges would go at eleven o'clock at night.
3: Yeah, you know,
2: yeah. Keats to Hawk. Yeah, yeah. It's well, time at eleven. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, got some Robbie Lannell. Um And Gosh, and Lieutenant Hawk from First Contact. I love that you got the reference. Yeah. Got the reference. Yeah. It is who was who was a gay character in the novel, but only in the novels, which is not yeah. classed as canon. Guys, bullshit. Oh, it really is legends. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he was. He had a partner, and everything it was all rather lovely. What was that in the novelisation of the film? Yeah,
1: yeah. Then they went, "Oh, he's gay." Like in the not yeah. in, the, no, in the film, in the but film, they're know, just but. like, "No, but he's think, just hot." But I think, yeah, Neil McDonough, like uh, Neil uh, McDonough, of course, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, and he gets yeah. killed, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. he does. Oh, he yeah, gets well, course, assimilated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
2: <laughs> I also want to point out as well that I have a theory. In fact, Garak, um, Andrew Robinson has it as well. We're talking about gays in space. Gazing
4: in
2: space! <laughs> um, I think the reason Garrick has the control that he has is he's fucked all the evil people in uh, the Obsidian Order and beyond. Because he's got these extraordinary relationships. I think Garrick has lured men in over the years, you know, and then said, you know, I will tell everyone that you're gay in the Star Trek universe unless you, you know, get hold of this Cardassian date. <laughs> I, see it
1: power. I was thinking like that Hulk, that like, Quark is cheap. Yeah. Because I was like, the five person bars, you want to owe anything to is Quark because he will just keep going. It like, yeah. But yeah. because it's like, you know, he knows that this is ruin, Like, Cisco, if it ever comes out, it's like, I think it needed him throttling up, you know, Quark up against the wall. I yeah. say, you fucking reword this. <laughs> well, Cisco, yeah, Cisco,
2: does, yeah. Cisco does do that in later episodes, actually. Like, there are, there's some really oh, beautiful moments bad, when, but... when Quark sort of ends up becoming, you know, family friendly Quark. Quark goes from, you know, killing Rom. Um, or trying to kill him on a regular basis. To oh, I really believe in my family, and we've got to protect everybody. And I like that development actually. I, I like where Quark ends up um, and softened. Going back to Garrick, I, I, one thing that I think they really lost in the later episodes of Deep Space Nine were the lunches be- between Bashir and Garrick. You know, um, plain, simple Garrick. You know, <laughs> and and drinking Tarkalian tea and it all being very important to being earnest. Um, on Deep Space Nine, I loved that relationship between Bashir and and Garak because they were two men that were so fascinated by each other and yet knew so little about each other. And actually, if you were looking at putting gays in space, I would have loved to see Bashir be, um, you know, genetically modified and gay um, because you know he does need to be perfect, and we all know that one in ten <laughs> is better than nine in ten. Um, and I think it could have been a really beautiful thing.
0: Mad joke. Thank you. Ah, What are you doing up? You're supposed to be in bed. Out of the question. I couldn't stand being cooped up in that dreadful infirmary for another second. Besides, I feel perfectly fine. So, how's the Idanian spice pudding today? How's the spice pudding? Is that all you have to say for yourself? How can you just sit there and pretend that the last ten days never happened? I, for one, doctor, am perfectly satisfied with the way things turned out, and I see no need to dwell on what was doubtlessly a difficult time for both of
2: us. And, and actually, Andrew Robinson has said they should have made Garrett gay. In fact, he says I think on the DS9 documentary, he's like, you know, Garrett's gay, right? <laughs> just because he knows the Republicans are sort of watching, it, going, yeah, what? Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> but. There's that, and there's also... If there's one business that Quark really needs to get into, it's biomimetic gel. That stuff gets referenced all <laughs> the time. It just seems delicious. I mean, I know it's for, you know, weapons or genetically modifying things. In fact, it's basically um, that new stuff that they've used. Um, CRISPR, isn't it? That's clearly what it is. Yeah. It's basically CRISPR. Google CRISPR. I'm not going to talk about genetics today. Um, but just yeah. seeing, seeing all the things about, you know, what a good captain does... And it being about, if I just do this little thing, if I do this little thing, eventually turning into mm-hmm. enabling Garrick to fundamentally enable him to kill.
1: Mm. Well, this is exactly it, isn't it? Because one of the interesting things about the episode is, obviously, I I genuinely didn't know what was going to happen, what was going to be the thing that Cisco would end up doing that he was so guilty about. And, you know, one of the genius things about the episode, I think, is the flashback structure... Because it's him saying, you know he's done something bad, but we don't actually know what it is. And so we're waiting to find out. But actually, of course, Garrick is essentially the culprit, really, of the really bad thing that happens in it. Which is essentially destroying the Romulan ship. It feels at first, when I was first watching it, it kind of seemed almost not as satisfying as if Cisco had done it himself. But... At the same time, actually, when you think about it, he's still complicit, and there's an ambiguity deep down. Did he know that mm. that would, would happen anyway? Yeah. Because that's what Garrett challenges <clears throat> when he beats the shit out of Garrett. Garrett essentially says, "Oh, basically, don't lie to yourself. You, you knew, you this, knew yeah. what was going to happen." Well, that's what know? I really like. Warned him straight away. People will die. Yeah, yeah. he says
3: he yeah.
2: literally. He literally says he's to it Seeker,
1: "It's like, going yeah. to be bloody." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um
2: the the other thing as well that there's a, there's another lovely thing here. Um Jeff Combs is a very good friend of mine who is um Weyoun in this episode. Um there's a really lovely thing with this. Obviously when they make the forgery. Um uh, there's some there's some really lovely little details in there. I love the fact that we see a new Romulan ship. Yeah. And that beautiful beautiful model sequence where you see the sort of travelator coming along to it. And yeah. you just think, that's really lucky that that fits, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. uh, all these spaceships that conform to yeah. You know you the standard, as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you see that come out and then it decloaks. And it's like, we haven't seen a new Romulan ship since basically the next generation. Because they're just reusing all the old warbirds that, and, uh, that they had before. So you've got a nice new Romulan ship um, very camp meeting. Ah, Emetry of the Puffets. <laughs> this, is, is. Look who it is, Captain Sisko. Um, oh, and the man who started the war. If it was me, I would go, all right, um, this is my place. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How many wars you started recently? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. do, do, do we really
2: want to talk about the neutral zone incident? Because we could, I mean, that would have been great if they are trying to outwar each other. And it is camp, all this, you know, drinking, and it's not Romulan ale, they're drinking, what is it? It's, um...
1: Oh yeah, something else. <laughs>
2: it's something blue, and he's, and he's and he's just going. Oh, this hasn't quite got the smell. Oh, I just forgot. It did have it. <laughs> I just <laughs> forgot. <laughs> anyway, no, I need some proof, love. And <laughs> then the for and when he does come to the forgery, the reason I go back to Jeff Combs is there so many times when Wayun is just a hologram in an episode, where he's either being recalled because they've got a, um, a recording of him or this, he's obviously a forgery... Um, Wayoon makes so many appearances, not as Wayoon, but as Jeff Combs, uh, playing something, another facet to yeah. that character.
3: Uh, I was going to say, yeah, because does Jeff Combs turn up a lot in the show as different characters? Or is yes. He, he does, because right. he's the
1: and dude, seems he, like he, well, in Enterprise, isn't he? He's the Andorian in Enterprise. He's Shran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's,
2: also, he's also, going back to Dirty Holosuite, he's in the early <laughs> Deep Space Nine episode... Um, where he's the guy that wants Major Kira in the holosuite. I wanted to walk into... I, I sound like Trump now. I didn't mean to do that. Um, in fact, he was a bit Trump-like, now I think about it. Um, he wants to go into the holosuite, and he wants to see Kira Norris, um waiting uh, for him. It's very grubby. And then eventually it happens. They walk in, and, and there's Kira's body, but Quark's head. Um, which is oh bleak. god. Um, Jeff, oh, I I think you may Jeff also plays, <laughs> uh, he plays. He plays quite a few. He he obviously plays Brunt, the FCA official, which he may not have got to. Brunt so. FCA does that. Um, yeah, Jeff does. Jeff appears in all sorts.
1: Yeah, hasn't he? Is it he's played more characters? And no, Star- that's, than that's Vaughn. That's Vaughn. Oh, okay. Vaughn is
2: also a mate, and that, um, that's Vaughn Armstrong. Yeah, Vaughn played. He's played like fourteen different parts. Right. One of his, End Deep Space Nine, Next Gen. For, he was the first Klingon. You know, oh,
1: came, wow. Apart
2: from Worf, he was the first sort of... You know, you see the Klingons in their get-up and their mm. uh, the early Next Gen episode, whatever it is, um, and they kill, and the Klingons arrive on the ship. Vaughn is the first. And Vaughn says rather beautifully that he based... Because um, he was in the Vietnam War. Right. He, um, he said he based the Klingons on um, the vets who came back from Vietnam. And it's that anger and it's that need to fight... Uh, it's where he got that energy from, and then they would send the, those tapes out, those early next general episodes to other actors playing Klingons. So many oh, ways. Because wow. how
3: how so big was that character? Because that's an interesting thing to imbue in, that into what I'm guessing is like a guest role essentially, but to give it that gravitas.
2: In many ways, I think we look at Wei in the same way that we look at Pence next to Trump. Um, right. He is the he is the power behind. I think he's the power behind whether it's Gold Ducat who. Gosh, you haven't seen you haven't seen the story I don't want to ruin it for you. <laughs> um, I mean, look at the end of the day, the Cardassian leaders um, go through quite a journey, um, but fundamentally, the the whispering sidekick is always way you and the conceit is quite clever. Let's come up with a like a, a, a forgery, which will have some imperfections. But what will really make it imperfect is oh, you know, if we put it on a ship that explodes, mm. where the hell did Garrick put it that it was all right? I mean, does do yeah. these ships have like a glove box? Yeah.
1: Yeah I was thinking that Because <laughs> like, cause, cause he does say about It'll be destroyed Or whatever like that And he's just like Oh no I've got a feeling It'll be alright Yeah well, why <laughs> like, yeah. They, they put it in It's salvaged From the middle of yeah, the Put it in a safe Or so yeah. 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 It, it
2: must be a very special There must be like A special
1: Place on these on these. I guess Scouts. so, which he must have known about. I, I, you get that impression, don't you, that that character? Yeah. Well, I yeah, it Garrett. Yeah, gives you the sense of like you don't question it because he is just so in touch with everything. Yeah, character. yeah, he's kind of all now, well, because he is that kind of spy esque mm. character, espionage kind of figure, isn't he? It's a violent episode
2: for for its time. You know, mm. the, the big thing is when when Cisco gets another casualty report in, and then we find out the Veneck shuttle. ...has been uh, exploded. And indeed, um, Griffin Tolar, he gets killed as well, doesn't he? He just disappears because, Mm. of course, if he speaks about what he did, it could jeopardise things. It's almost like Macbeth. I mean, Cisco has their blood on their hands, and then he finds out a load of his mates and the Federation have died, and... There is only one murderer that he can get his hands on, and that is Garrick. Mm. And that scene between them is a testament, especially to Andrew Robinson, just the way he dresses down Sisko. And we see Sisko being dressed down by pretty much everybody. Dax pretends to do it at the beginning. We see it with um, Vreenak when he says how you're losing the war, and even when Sisko tries to convince him for the right way... He goes, no, um, I don't think we are doing very well. Basically, He's such
1: a dickhead to
2: I mean. He really <laughs> is. He's such a queen. I tell you, it's the <laughs> campus episode. Um, you know, and then um, then there's, uh, who else dresses him down? down? Bashir, Bashir, Bashir. Bashir does yeah, it. I will yeah, yeah. be writing it formally in my log. Get you, Bashir. <laughs> Where does that ever
1: like, learn do anything? It's never addressed <laughs> again, yeah. is it? <laughs> you
2: would think that, I mean, I love the fact that The Defiant goes back in time and those two guys turns up in The Trouble with Tribbles and they've all got to sit down and we've got to talk about, oh, the, you know, the bureaucracy of the federation after that. Yeah. Yeah. Cisco gives away two hundred liters um, of biomimetic gel, which, in my mind, is a hell of a lot
1: for what you know. What you, you would assume we don't need a test tube. Well, yeah, that's another thing he does, isn't it? Because at yeah. the end of the day, that's like dangerous kind of material. use like, mutations yeah. and stuff <laughs> like that. So he knows essentially that that's another thing that could spin out on later this, uh, that'd be. Yeah. Odo's <laughs> pissed off of him as well but yeah. because of the fact that he's as soon as he said, "Oh." about the security stuff, because I was like, isn't that Odo's job? He's like, oh, I see.
2: It's everybody taking a piece out of Cisco In many ways, taking away bits of his uniform, which, of course, we see visually throughout the episode. Also, has anybody else ever considered... long
1: enough, though, fortunately, this episode. (laughs) No, no,
2: just by the end, it's just him with two nipple tassels (laughs) and his Starfleet pants, which I'm sure are made of sort of thick, you know. Um, (laughs) I mean, the other thing as well, has anyone ever considered those uniforms? I mean, they are practically... Too hot. Yeah, I mean, a waistcoat, um, uh, a thick sort of undershirt, they've got vests that go underneath the undershirt. So they've got vests, they've got the undershirt, they've got a waistcoat, they've got then the uh, the, the sort of top part of it as well. But the Darvo
1: goes, it must be freezing. Like, the, air col-
2: come-
1: <laughs> the air comes <laughs> up really high yeah. on DS9. Well, really. no, we know <laughs> that seems <Cardassian's laughs> like their station's warm.
2: We know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, I hate my life for knowing that. Yeah. Um, so, like, you you just see no one who's taking his clothes off just being like,
3: why? Why do we have to wear these things? Maybe that's why the lights are down so low all the time. <laughs>
2: that's, that's probably like, it.
3: Please, no more heat, please. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> that's probably it. I also, and the other thing as well is... Um, who is wearing the stuff in Garrick's shop? I mean, I have There's no customers. customers. Like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's never yeah, anyone in there. You beat the shit out of him and nobody comes in and goes, <laughs> I was in for my pen. <laughs> oh, oh someone back. was in the changing room. Like, uh, yeah. Oh. Uh, saw saw go, people
2: have got replicators now. It's like, oh, do you want to go to the, the place where, you know, that bloke always, Gets beaten up or
1: kills people.
3: Like, like Cisco walked in and went, want a piece of this? Plus, like, he, He's a
1: spy. <laughs> Literally, he just got an eye hole in the changing room. Like, <laughs> What's like with just, Matt Berry? Like, yeah, snuff box. It's, not, it's, 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 like, yeah, it's just happening in someone's trying to buy the cowboy. There's uh, like, right, a beat on going Do you want down. some more? No. Like, <laughs>
2: but also, not, not only that, it is It is a... It, 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 it also, he's the only gay on the station and they made him a tailor. Like, it's sort of like, ah, oh, where does where does one get a lady's gown, Garrett? So, you know, I, I they should they, they should have made Garrett gay. And then, actually, do you know he would be such a hero. He would be such a hero. Um, indeed, he doesn't like being in tight places. Ergo, the closet. Um, this is all,
3: I think, I've, I think I've... Are you stumbling on this right now and be like, hang on a minute?
2: <laughs> no, I mean, it, I, I haven't... I, do you know, I've never really been in a situation where I've... Spoken about the homosexuality of in <laughs> Deep Space Nine before, um, but uh, yeah, I actually Garret would have been such a great character to have been gay, as such a hero as he becomes later in the piece. Um, another episode we didn't mention, which is great, The Wire. That's another extraordinary episode, early Deep Space Nine episode. If you, ha- you know, I'm not going to. Those who know what The Wire is will be like, that bloke's right. I don't like that he's calling Garrett gay, but
1: it was a good episode. <laughs> um, but. <laughs> yeah. He that's the episode set in Baltimore, yeah? That's exactly. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. <laughs> um,
2: and, and also, um, when uh, they got to Terrap Noor and he becomes mad. And what's lovely is he just reprises his role as the villain in Dirty Harry. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean.
1: yeah, well, this is <laughs> yeah. the thing that's what he's obviously, prior to this, most famous for. And I think, because obviously his performance in, in that as Scorpio, yeah. it, it, he's proper deranged. <laughs> and I won't let you know who the girl is. Do we understand each other? Huh? Do we understand each other? Don't pass out on me yet. No, 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 no. Not yet. Not
0: yet. Don't pass out on me yet, you rotten oinker.
1: Do we understand each
0: other? If you care what happens to the girl, you better answer me. All right? All right. Now listen to me carefully. I've changed my
1: mind. I'm going to let her die. I just wanted you to know that. And I feel like he he does bring that intensity yeah. to Garrick mm. in this episode. But there's something about like him being paid to be beaten up that you can see Garrick doing that too. Like yeah, he's, like, just, like, yeah, this yeah. yeah. Guys, so, like you know, just wait for it. Like with the gloves. I forget, yes. Yeah, I forgot yeah. about that yeah. scene. That's really sick because he's yeah. such a yeah. sick. He's probably character. just doing it in that the holosuite. Yeah, well, that one's a free. Like, it's like, I feel like he pays for it at the beating and he throws his mate.
2: Like, this one's a free. There is that lovely moment when um, with Zial. You wouldn't know who Zial is yet because you've not got the episode. I <laughs> don't think so. People who have actually bothered to watch the show. Um, <laughs> Zial, where we, you know, a Kardashian that comes on the station, there's a lovely moment in the holosuite where they just curl up around. Um, these hot rocks talking about the heat the carlescent love, and it's a beautiful image of just him finally having somebody like himself. And I realize why it's probably so poignant because again, I suppose when I was watching it, I was looking for somebody like myself. Mm. Of course I love Garrick. But I, it's it's the it's it's the way that the piece ebbs and flows mm. so brilliantly. You know, we, we were talking about the structure and how Deep Space Nine, because of the ad breaks, you know, you know it's the end of an act because here come the French horns! <laughs> And it's all very, very quiet again, and you hear Ops bubbling away. Oh, new act. The way it builds. And all they're doing is following around sets they've already got. It is literally down to Andrew Mm. Robinson Mm. and Avery Brooks. And I know there are people out there that hate this episode. I know
1: there are people that absolutely hate it. Because it almost goes directly against the original Carl Roddenberry vision.
2: It's it's like a play of the day. It's like a beautiful little play of the day. Mm. The characters, you know, you've got comic relief in some respect with all the villains, which I think is is so sort of charming. What did you guys think of it? I'm, I'm interested to see what you guys thought of it.
1: Well, I literally thought it was, yeah, pretty awesome. Uh, I think I think at first it took a little while for me to take it in because, like I say, I think at first I was slightly let down just by the fact that it wasn't Cisco who kind of was really doing the dirty. Like, I, I kind of, a part of me wanted it to be Cisco planting a fucking bomb. Or I thought when... And he says, it's a fake, to him. And How does he say it, sorry? It's a fake! <laughs> and, uh, when they go in and he says that, and it's just them in the room, I was like, oh shit, is it going to be the they're alone in that room, no one else knows at that point, Mm. and Cisco just grabs him and strangles him to (laughs) fucking death.
2: I mean, I I think what I love about it is it is the Machiavellian-Faustian pact, sort of the delicate way that it is dealt with, and the fact that actually the power, the real power, which is very deep space and very dominion, is it is about those at the top making those little decisions with the cogs,
1: and Mm. You know, does the means justify the end? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah you know, no, no I do agree. he his hands dirty because it's just like would completely cheapen off. yeah, no, 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 I completely yeah, agree. This is exactly this what I'm saying. is somebody who everybody trusts. Like, and even court goes. I knew there was somewhere deep in you, because this is a good man. Yes. This is it the same as Picard doing something like this? Can you imagine like the most noble character in the universe? Well I think uh, well, if Sisko... you watch Star Trek Picard, you won't have to imagine too much. Yeah. That's the thing, I think Sisko is a darker character than Picard. That's it. <laughs> like, But, yeah, I, I do, because once I actually processed it... That makes it, it in the
2: edit, I will be... i find that
1: extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> once I actually processed it and what happened, I was like, well, no, actually, it is a lot better this mm. way. Because you get that ambiguity of the fact yeah. of, did he actually always realise that this was the way it was going to go down, but he simply he allowed he Garrick and... to do it? So Garrick's yeah. hands were dirty yeah. rather than his. But also, I'm not being funny...
2: This is all Garrick ever does. Whenever they're in the Federation, like, oh, no, we need to find out this information. They always go to Garrick, like, for the seven seasons. Whenever someone (laughs) needs to be killed or
3: tortured, (laughs) it's like, oh, we have got Garrick. how could you? We we,
1: we will talk to you about next season's florals.
2: (laughs) There's the lovely episode where um, they need to get some information to Cardassia. And it's such a stupid conceit. They're all in the war room discussing their great plans. And they go, um, Mr. Garrick, can you um, take my measurements for a new suit? And he comes up and goes, uh, should I be here? Uh, and they're like, no, Mr. Garrick, just, now's a great time. <laughs> so we're going to invade this place and this place. No. And he even says, I think I have everything I have. He must go, guys, just, just tell me. Like, if you need me to pass some information on, it's fine. Yeah. But it is that campness that Deep Space Nine has of yeah. letting you, the viewer, think. I know what
1: they're doing, even though it's very, very obvious what they're doing. Mm. I loved the whole wraparound of uh, Cisco essentially doing the direct camera monologue. It's like uh Star Trek does talking heads.
2: Can you imagine? <laughs> oh if it was Alan Aek <laughs> I went to, I went down the promenade <laughs> with so many George on John- Justics.
1: <laughs> also the other thing that no one addresses
2: here, is Loaksana Troy okay? Nobody cares. Well <laughs> oh, you <leave> her. <laughs> Mr. Hong would have been <laughs> like <laughs> Beta Zed. I'm trying to say it like Garrick. <laughs>
4: um,
2: like like Beta said, it's also of all the planets you have a go at. But this is a genuine like yes, fan it's thing. Awesome. It's where Beta Z is. If you notice, it's clarified. Mm-hmm. Um, that that means it's really close to Vulcan. Right. And we uh, Vulcan and and not uh, Indoor, Alpha Centauri. Alpha Centauri, which we know is, is the Saturn closest. Saturn. It's yeah. closest to Earth. So actually, what it's also saying is, if they've got Beta Z, Earth is next. Do mm. you know what I mean? It's really close. Um, and again it's just this sense of the Dominion getting closer and mm-hmm. closer and closer like to
1: they were playing doing Vulcan weren't they but it's uh, that was another note probably. it's like a little thing but I, uh, I mean it just takes a J.J. Abrams to have the balls to pull it through yeah, yeah it's very true isn't oh, it yeah, <laughs> yeah that's not true the Calvin timeline <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about it Paul uh, I oh that's wonderful I do think I I was very much aware I was watching DS9 through the fifth and sixth seasons like uh, I went out, but it's, oh, it was a one time watching the 90s so I I'm definitely o- overdue a rewatch of this. So I, I, didn't feel like I was jumping too much in. I was very aware of like the the, the first contact era. Where the mm. uniforms have changed, and but it was the first time in years I've actually seen Cisco because I've been watching those early episodes. Yeah, I've seen him leap forward and just mm. like the gravitas and like everything's changed about his delivery. It seems like I just can never buy him before like in the uh, in the red uniform yeah. and. It just, he felt like it wasn't him. He's just so much more badass in every way, isn't he? I
2: also, but I also think as well, it's Paramount relaxing a little bit about how they wanted to present that black captain mm. and also them getting to know Avery Brooks, the scriptwriters getting to know Avery Brooks and them simply not wanting to make him just do the role as he'd done so many other roles before, which was this hard-ass um, police figure, cop figure, fork, you know, yeah. that was, they, they didn't, and also that would have been too much to have started yeah. like yeah. that.
3: So we consciously wanted a little no, different to begin
1: with. Well, it's good because I'm, you know, I wasn't convinced by Avery Brooks in the in the Um and you know, the duet wasn't really an Avery Brooks like mm. vehicle. So it's the first time I've actually seen him really come to the fore mm. in the episodes I've rewatched. So yeah, it's just very exciting to kind of just go into his. Like, it's in my big blind spot of my whole trek. Sort of I mean,
2: I mean, the, the other part, the other thing as well that's really interesting is just the distinct lack of the rest of the rest of the characters. Cole no nowhere to be seen. No, probably up yeah. in you know, um, uh, in some Jeffrey's era. tube somewhere. Uh, well, she is actually because I thought that in the shower because I the last time my last rewatch because I was like, uh, people who can't see this because they're a podcast, I've actually grown a Cisco beard, um, specifically for this episode because I was <laughs> bored. Um, Kira does appear, um, because she's the one who tells them that Beta Z's been, um, attacks ah. and morphs randomly. They're going, Yeah, and they would have been delighted by <laughs> that. Mother in law almost
1: is, yeah, is uh could be in jeopardy but he doesn't he's just
2: like yeah <laughs> i've totally forgotten about uh councillor troy who is she <laughs> yeah. you know maybe that's where he is maybe he's just popped back to see councillor troy just to see if she's all right uh who else is missing from it or jake jake oh, isn't yeah there? of
1: course yeah jake removed and no another
2: quarks extended it would have been great if there was a little c which was dad like how long is this log entry going to be <laughs>
3: I'm starving, I need to use the replicator. Never mind, delete delete
2: school in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, and what are you... He's not at school anymore. Um, He has aged five years. Uh, And also, um, what are you drinking, Dad? Is that water or is that gin? (laughs) Um, Yeah, and and also, I I, I always love about Cisco's... um, In fact, most of the... um, uh, the quarters that they have, is you just look at the decoration that they've got. It's mm. all just random art. Yeah. Where do these people get it from? It's just like... There was a moment in, in early Deep Space Nine where, where Cisco actually has, like, a cooking stove, which I was like, yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> that's never seen again. <laughs> early episodes when they don't really know what they're doing, you just get loads of sort of... Like, Cisco starts wearing just very traditional African clothes. They get rid of that because they go, yes, that's a bit racist, but yeah. really <laughs> <be> doing that. <laughs> You know, and, and I think what's nice is actually is they start just using them as a captain of a space station who happens to be black. Yeah. You know, I, I hope that the writers were probably having discussions with the actors mm. and, and, and just trying to portray ultimately a show that begins with a, a dad and a son who've lost their um, their Mother. mom and their wife. Who just have a job on a space station and ultimately, yes, they do cause the biggest war the Federation has ever seen, um, but fortunately he does solve it.
3: Um, and it's masterful. What about you, Matt? What do you think? I kind of knew this was held in high regards. You know, I was thinking, like, what is it that's going to come out of this that is going to do? And I, I really like that he wasn't responsible for the bombing directly, because that gives him something else to kind of reckon with, that he has to accept or, or suppress this thing that he's not directly, directly responsible for.
1: Well, I uh, that gives to... the character somewhere to go as well, yeah. I suppose, in terms of because at this point, this is still yeah. in the penultimate season. So I suppose it can go worse. He's gone this dark now. Yeah. If this continues by the series finale, well, I mean, how that, dark he's going to well, go. That kind of him. final yeah. twist
3: of him saying, and I can live with
1: it. Yes. Yes. It's it's like like, your, yeah. He says it twice. It twice. Yeah. Oh, it's the second one, you're
3: like, and oh. I can. I've lived with it. He's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's really convincing himself. And I thought he was going to just keep Saying it slowly and slowly as it pulled out and faded away, which would have been great. Just like I can
2: I mean there's a lot of things with this where you have to take a leap of faith. You know, he's yeah. able to get hold of the data rod. okay, that's brilliant. And somebody can do a perfect forgery, okay, that's brilliant. And fortunately the plan works, that's brilliant. And all the people that need to talk about it, they don't die, so the next episode yeah. can go on and we never need to talk and about Hork's this. Quark is, really. is nice and cheap. <laughs> yeah. Um, even though, you know, money doesn't exist in the twenty fourth century. <laughs> Uh, and finally, uh, uh, I can get this all out. Uh, the Romans have joined the war and we'll delete this log entry. Let's never talk about this again. <laughs> and who cares? Because that's, yeah. that's just a lovely oh, little story. Yeah. I, well, I do think there's one misstep
1: there with, with, with the, he gets Starfleet Command's permission. Yeah. I'm like, he didn't... You should go and sort your own back. Oh, does he? Yeah. He says, like, luckily, Starfleet Command agreed with the plan. And oh, you know what? I missed that. And he almost... Yeah. He, he because right. of the fact that he turns round... And says like you're not working for stuff that you're working for me. Yeah. In my in, head, in, in I in was like, "Oh, this is all check. Right. Um, okay. But I think like that just that validates some of his behaviour. It's like, no, it needs to be completely on personal. Yeah, I totally yeah, agree yeah.
2: with you. I, do you know, as a, if I was dramaturging it, I would have probably said, "You don't need that." Let's yeah. let's put the weight of the world on his shoulders, and he has to sleep knowing.
1: Yes. But so this is yes. Just yes. getting that pressure. It feels a bit like uncut gems or something like that, isn't it? You know, you need this guy to kind of get more and more kind of put into the corner.
2: My yeah. only my only justification for it might be. As we've addressed the biomimetic gel, the the, the fact that there is you know um, I have done something. There's one other thing, Oh, guys, do you mind? Uh, I have given 200 liters of um biomimetic gel. What was that? Biomimetic gel. All right, how much? Um, 200 200. 200 liters. Didn't think of negotiating that. (laughs) Well, no, we we just needed that rod. All right, you know, we've got one. You've got a rod. You didn't ask us, did you, you idiot? I mean, I love the idea of pulling the whole thing apart. Just some admiral going... I
1: suppose the idea is to make Starfleet complicit as well and therefore show they are not whiter than white themselves. We know that. They already... Yeah, and
2: my my response is funnier, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You're
3: right, though. I I really love that it it feels like like a season finale event. Happening yes. in a small ball episode, and it gets so much high stakes across within just these characters doing their thing. And I like that everyone else just kind of flips in for cameos, because it's really all Cisco's show.
1: I think, actually, the big piece of guilt that Cisco has to hang on his shoulders is the fact... It's the cover-up, isn't yeah. it? And like you say, and that's the Watergate aspect, mm. in the sense of, actually... Morally, even if he goes, oh well, I didn't know what was going to happen. Garrick did this all. Then you go, well, Cisco, you can tell everyone the truth. You can say, you can say, he chooses not to because he knows that if he does tell the truth, they're fucked.
2: But also, the it's interesting you reference Watergate because let's not forget that it was it was thanks to Watergate that we lost a president. Mm. I mean, this could also be if 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 he was found out, if he is not controlling that station. You know, of course we have to believe that the Federation could never win that war. The links for the Bajorans, him as the emissary. There's that aspect to it. Um but again, as I said, it's it's why I find Deep Space Nine and don't get me wrong, I I love uh, Star Trek episodes where we do seek out strange new worlds. And mm-hmm. actually the original series did some of that um better than, than some of the other series. But I just love the the conundrum that he's that faced. Yeah. I love I love seeing that and the pressure. I, I just think it's. I think it's beautiful, and, and I don't think you need to have watched mm, um, mm. Star Trek at all to appreciate I this just episode.
1: Think, like, like, I really enjoy what deep space nine. It's like okay, you've got Star Trek original series, Star Trek Next Generation, going out, Strange New Worlds every mm. week. Then what happens if you just stop for a minute and, and we've we've built this massive empire. How do you maintain that? Like a day to day, like mm. all these new civilizations, all their kind of things don't go away because you met and everything's hunky dory. Well, like, what but kind of, well, mm.
2: interestingly, if you think about it. Think about it from a timeline point of view. Yes, you've got Voyager, but Voyager is a different thing. They're in the Delta Quadrant, still wearing their pyjamas. You know, when they came back, everyone would have gone, oh, the old uniforms, I remember those. Um, Ultimately, the show that will pick up, um, or the only show that currently can pick up what happened after the Dominion War, other than the novels, book readers, is actually Picard. And we're seeing where the Federation is at. And we now know, thanks to Discovery, and actually Deep Space Nine, who invented Section 31, Mm. We know the Federation has a has a really has a great dark side to it. I love the section um, section 31 aspect of um, Deep Space Nine and there being a, a secret organization within the Federation that does all the things that the Federation cannot be seen to be doing and actually this all feels very section mm. 31 mm-hmm.
1: yeah it's the Vietnam War isn't it like so much of that came out, Black ops and uh, you know we're, we're not actually in Cambodia. Well, we are, like, but we are, you know, there's so much stuff going on. Yeah. It's, like it's all based on American history where, you know, you have to predict the office whiter than white, you're getting your hands dirty, but you can never be found out. And it's the, the unravelling. Rather than go through impeachment and have it all aired... Because impeachment works, yes. Yeah, well, that's... The, <laughs> yeah, well, it's... Yeah, it's rather we just kind of, like, just cut our losses and resign and let's not stop asking questions. Did, yeah. you, did you
2: notice, though, that um, what with... I'm, I'm a big follower of American politics obviously the Romulans in the Senate, this and the other, uh, as somebody who was following, obviously, the the impeachment process uh, of Donald Trump, there's just so many references to it where you go, ah, I think the Star Trek writers were definitely Democrats, Mm -hmm. and clearly uh, the Romulans are the Republicans, slash the Dominion. There's such parallels. There really is. And I think they knew exactly what they were doing. And all these people were saying with Picard and Discovery, oh, Star Trek's not political. Mm. It fundamentally is. Mm.
3: Um, you were saying a bit off-mic, I think, about, you know, the differences and the similarities between Trek and theatre. Huge. Is there anything, yeah, is there anything specifically from Trek that you've put into your work or have taken from it? Your... <laughs> Marina Certis, <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the one, yeah. I did put Marina Sirtis in the play. Yeah. Um,
2: yes, there is. Uh, so I did a play called As Is, which was uh, the first commercial um, AIDS play, and there is um, there's a lovely moment where there are two gay guys um, in their early relationship and one of the characters uh, has contracted HIV-AIDS uh, but doesn't realise yet. And they're fooling around in their apartment, uh, a little bit of foreplay and just skylarking around in that lovely thing that um, we often do in early relationships. And I had on in the background of the television um, the scene from Amok Time. Because Spock's blood is obviously boiling from the ponfar. And I did that little sort of nod for the it's a really tenuous link. But um, it was lovely to see them fighting with that music and knowing that Spock had the ponfar hmm. and obviously the HIV AIDS thing. So that was in there. Um, and the <laughs> actor Stevie Webb, who is um, uh, still a very, very Dear friend, an actor I probably worked with more than anybody else. Just let me look at me. And said you had to get it in there. <laughs> uh, gosh, uh, any other Star Trek references? I mean, Dark Sublime is obviously... There were tons of Star Trek references, Doctor mm. e references, Blake mm-hmm. 7 references, and it's very difficult for me to probably talk about Dark Sublime too much because, so right. well, you had to see it. You know, you, it, it, there was so many... It was a love
1: letter. to Me and Matt did see it. You did see yeah, it. Yeah, you yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. We were front row, we smelt the frazzles. Smelt frazzles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the spicy McNacks. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, and the humbugs. It's like a John Waters experience. <laughs> yeah. There was so theater. much... Yeah. Do you know what? There was so much food. In fact, rather beautifully, if you look in my wine glass cupboard, you'll see there's... Oddly, nine very space-age-looking wine glasses. They're the wine glasses Uh, from Australia. And the reason I still have them is if I do have friends around and, you know, we have a few drinks around here, I have my expensive glasses for a nice dinner party, you know, when we're serving gak and Tarkalian tea, and, <laughs> and um, Hasparat, which sounds like the most delicious Chate dish in de Star Tart. Trek. Or Chateau Picard. <laughs> Chate, uh, Chate, why not uh, Chateau Neuf de Picard? I don't know why call um, But I also have the dark slime glasses, which um, were bought for their stability, because Marina, on this very table that we're around, uh, we used to enjoy very much, and I'm doing this on purpose, I don't know with the edit, would put glasses down and there'd be a very...
3: Um, <laughs>
2: And I needed something that would maintain until one night she did it and she broke one of the classes. Oh shit, mate! Um, uh, I mean, it's just—it's been. <laughs> God, I, I think what's more lovely is some of the references that Star Trek made that helped me discover more things about mm. theatre. You know, yes, there's lots of Shakespeare references, but you know, there's lots of other literary references, which is really lovely that perhaps people don't know. There's um, there's a thing in theatre uh, we have called a work called morality plays sort of the turn of the century, where um, essentially you would do these plays which would adjust, which would address religious issues and, um, and morality issues. And, you know, Star Trek wasn't really doing anything new. I think that's really important to point out. In fact, Voyager very cleverly acknowledges that badly in that awful Greek episode, where the You've got the Greek actors with the strange Voyager masks. That's one not to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> but Star Trek, is, it's just really good storytelling. The structure is really recognisable. Um, it references... What Star Trek is very clever at doing, less so Deep Space Nine, I hasten to add, um, with a few exceptions, it's very good at acknowledging things that after you've watched that episode, I then sought out as a kid mm. to find out what was that about. It's lovely sometimes, you know, as you can see in this flat, there's real props from the show that I've been given from cast members and things. Um, But those are not really the biggest gifts that Star Trek ever gave me. The things they gave me was, oh, I should find out about this. Um, When we hear Picard saying, what a piece of work is man, I had to know what play that was from. You know, and then lo and behold, I discovered one of the greatest plays ever written. It was great for me as, as a bit of a geek and a smart kid and eloquent kid to be told it was okay to be curious about the world and ourselves. And I think in this miserable day of of Brexit and mm-hmm. and fucking the conservatives in power, after all this time, I mean, guys, you literally voted for the dominion again, yeah. Yeah.
3: you know, and growing up in Bournemouth
2: and growing so. up in Bournemouth,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I did. And thing? also,
2: and also, you know, let's say it as it is, I was growing up in Bournemouth as a you know a working class white kid who had different rights to my white uh, to my other white counterparts. Mm. Um, you know, I did not, you know, when it comes to the age of consent, when it comes to Section 28, and I always get this mixed up with Section 31, as I did on a gay panel. <laughs> I, I was on a gay panel and I said, well, of course, Section 31. And they all looked at me and were like, what? <laughs> well, uh, uh, 28, sorry. And I, I really hoped there was someone in the audience who was a Star Trek fan who just went, oh, no. <laughs> but, like, I didn't have the same rights. and And I grew up with an enormous sense of shame
1: in a, a Bournemouth cafe for youth people, and it actually had a laminated thing, the age consent for, like, different types of sex. doesn't shock me. And it was just, like... I, it was, the first time I was like, what is... I, even at that point, I was like, what is going on here? Yeah. Because that's, like, putting an entire sexuality, like, on notice that you're different. Yeah. Like, and it was... It really brought home and that was 2001. Look, we're, we're not miles away from, you know, um,
2: no gays, no blacks, uh, n- no dogs, no Irish you know, Irish being underneath dogs. And then you've got Star Trek, you know, putting someone like Colomini, for example, on the Enterprise, you know. It's, it has been great. We should probably do a podcast where I say, look, watch these five amazing things, which, where Star Trek was great for LGBT people. But, you know, it, it was very much the blackness between the stars for me. I, I still long, I still long for, for that representation. Um, and it would have been great if it was Garrick. It, wouldn't it have just been amazing if in that Taylor's shop, after they've had that fight, they just kissed, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, just just to make every Republican go, I am throwing the show. <laughs> but but I think it is it, it's the breadcrumbs that the writers left for us for very liberal things to look at, very mm. good, pure things to look at.
1: Do you think we're getting there now with Stamets and Colba and Discovery? Because that's that's a really lovely relationship. Do you know what
2: it is? It sort of is, but it's all. Look, it, it's progress. It's a beginning. Yeah, yeah. It's a beginning, and it's like with like. Let's just say it as it is, with the exception, ironically, of the original series. Every single Star Trek show, the first season, tends to be dreadful. And the exception of Picard, I hasten to add, which I think is... Mm-hmm. I think... My, my predictions are that Picard will go through the same problems that Deep Space Nine did. Where they're going, that's not more Star Trek. And Doctor Who has just gone through it as well. Mm. And the reason is this... When, the, when a lot of people were growing up, and as I said, Star Trek was my thing, but fortunately I spent my life in storytelling and stories and can appreciate new things that can be added to them. The problem is, is when people were watching these shows, they were young, they didn't have kids, they didn't have mortgages. It's like Brexit and Trump. Everything was great. And they were relevant and gorgeous and they were having sex and they were wearing the right fashion and everything was great. And then 20 years later, things are not so great. And the one thing left that makes them happy are the the DVDs or Netflix versions of their favourite TV show. And then all of a sudden, there's a new generation trying to do Star Trek. Well, that's not the Star Trek that I know and love. No, because you're not the same person that you were. And secondly, they're not making it for you anymore. They're making it for the next generation. Pun absolutely intended. And Doctor Who is the same thing. I know some people that just—I mean, I'm, admittedly, I, I'm not a big fan of this new series, uh, which is such a shame because Jodie Whittaker is such a fantastic actor. Yeah, she the is. Writing is ghastly, but it is that thing of it's, it's not the same. No, it's not meant to be because the world isn't the same. And Picard will have the same. Is that's why Picard is being attacked mm. by the by a minority? I'm delighted to say because they're going. But it's meant to be about going to planets, right, and, and sexy sexy birds in mini dresses and Kirk fucks them, right? No. No, because the world moved on from that. And you haven't. And it's maybe you should listen mm-hmm. to the messages that they were trying yeah. to say to go, we got that wrong. Best and Trek is doing that with gay things. You're not the young people coming up now. There's well, the new lot. Best thing about season one was the men in the dresses. <laughs> I said it. Yeah, <laughs> they're yeah, yeah, they were I extraordinary. They were extraordinary. And yeah. it's funny as well. With, I mean, one thing Enterprise did is it did address <laughs> trans issues. Mm. Um, with the, um, the the progenitor, uh, which I only know because connor Trenier, who plays um, one of the characters in that, was like, haven't you seen my trans episode? We, that was important. And he's really proud of it. He's really vocal about... A it's a really great episode where they're addressing what is, it to be, what is it to have your gender, and that's in the, you know, early noughties, late nineties. Mm.
1: But Star Trek's not political, folks. <laughs> I think it's also, there's like a bit of a wide-eyed instance, actually, if you were watching Next Generation of Child, actually, you've grown up and got wise... And now the coming along at the time are like, okay, I want to see those characters now face this shit storm of reality I'm living in as well. So it actually kind of works for people who grew up with the show too, I think.
2: There is a, and if if Marina is listening to this, at which point she won't, because we've spoken for far too long and she would have been bored by now. (laughs) I think there's something absolutely beautiful about seeing our actors as they look now. And I think the fact that they have aged and um, the weeks haven't. Well, the weeks haven't. <laughs> Nemesis, Nemesis was dusted off. Um, funny enough, I'm uh, not to spoil Picard, but they do youth, they do euthanise him a little
1: bit. Yeah, I was about to say. Didn't I heard they'd done some Irishman style? Digital, they have done. They have done. It was so. And obviously they've done it to Brent as well because yes, Brent is, yeah,
2: yeah. is not. You know, he's he's playing an android that mustn't age, and you know that mm. character says, "Oh, I was that beautiful line with." Um, And Data says, all of you will die, and I will always be the same. It's just like, beautiful, beautiful writing. But quite right, he's a robot, so that makes sense. And Star Wars, they brought back dead people, for crying out loud. So making someone look a bit younger to help tell the story, that's fine. Um, But I, I, I think there's something very powerful in that trailer, where we see Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis and Patrick Stewart Older, wiser.
1: Yeah, I mean, they still look older. They haven't, they haven't tried to make them look like they did in the show. They've just obviously smoothed, well, it, smoothed well, things out a little bit. I have
2: to say, with the exception of Marina, who I didn't cleanse, tone or moisturise until I met Marina Certis, But she told me her age, because uh, she's now um, practically mid-60s. And uh, I was like, I think my exact words to her were, fuck off. <laughs> and she went, "Yeah." Cleanser tones moisturise and you don't need to get the expensive stuff either <laughs> and uh, that's why if, as you've all been in my bathroom uh, that's why you will see I did get the expensive
3: stuff um, but that's why I, I got... don't trust you Marina, wait a but minute. but it wasn't she
2: said no she said if you look every year you look after your face you'll get another ten years back <laughs> yeah. um, or something like that it may not have been ten years I think I fucked the mess up I took a because to I'm going to be adding to my shop are you really <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you the good stuff. You need the, the best one is the I Get the orange, the orange. This is not appropriate for the Oh look, I'll tell you it. It's actually your biomimetic gel. <laughs> yes. Yes. Really I true. bought all 200 liters. <laughs> Bargain. Got you uh, down from 500. I'm trying to think, uh, I'm just trying to think of this. It's, it's, I think, I mean, we have drained Pour In The Pale Moonlight of everything that it has.
1: Well, apart from one, one thing. Go on. The title was influenced. By the Batman. By Batman, of course. Which yeah, is yeah. like, you know... *Death uh, the Devil and the Pale Moonlight. I, I, it's quite right, It's amazing. But wasn't it was going like, to be called The Patriot?
2: Wasn't it going to be called The Patriot? Am I making that Yes,
1: originally, when it was the Jake Sisko story, it was going to be called Patriot. I think it's like um, it going to be called and Hit a Guy With Glasses. Well, apparently... <laughs> Apparently, the dance of the devil <laughs> and the pelvic night thing is, is... That is a saying that, like, wasn't made up by Batman, I don't think. Uh, Apparently, maybe. Uh, maybe the meaning so. of it is to knowingly commit an evil or a moral act contradicting one's own moral principles, which, of course... It's not exactly a Blade Runner quote, but, is it? Is it? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Like, but it's certainly in Batman. guys, like, it?
3: tweeting to the show. <laughs> <laughs> there was a writer for Digital Spy a few years ago, 2016, who ranked it first of the whole franchise. Yeah, is yeah, there, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, Uh, Lexi Watson. Oh uh, well done Lexi And they said uh, Do Cisco's good intentions matter? Does the end Always justify the means? Everyone will take Something different From this episode But ultimately There may not be A right answer You don't get that On Downton Abbey <laughs>
1: right. Such a weird comparison Yeah it's it's just like, like, I must slam <laughs> Downton Abbey um, It's just like it, Why would you expect <laughs> To get that on Downton Guys, Abbey Guys can we all please
2: Do a Downton Abbey <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 Right
1: next but episode it, it, it's, it's
3: had a whole bunch Of high, high ranking placing As you might expect uh, 2013 The Guardian Recommended it as one of six episodes of all
1: of them up to that time of What out. were the others, darling? uh doesn't say here. This well, is just a little rundown of this stuff. This is always a thing where it's like, if you look up an episode, it will tell you if it's <laughs> one of the these link? ones yeah. that's a standout kind of Have you episode. got one of these? <laughs> it, will say, it will say, like, all oh, the... It's been ranked, and this one has yeah. been ranked as... Oh, right. it's going to be the inner light, isn't it? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah
3: <laughs> <laughs> time magazine... <laughs> Time magazine rated it as one of the top 10 moments of Star Trek. They call it chilling as Cisco slowly gives up his principles as the war gets more desperate. And his clothes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And 2016, Washington Post ranked it as the fourth best episode of all Star Trek. Empire ranked it 13th. Well, Empire they... are talking out of
1: their bottoms. <laughs> <laughs> well, the they end. put a number on them. Like, <laughs> or did they go with... Probably didn't lie. Well, they'll be
2: best of both worlds. It'll be best of both worlds. Yes,
1: yeah, probably. I think and they the did part... go there yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what week? though, that, I, 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 I will never forget that moment of Picard looking round, and Riker's fire. Like it's an amazing piece, that's when that's yeah. Star Trek sort of stepped it up and was like, yeah. and we got it all wrong. The first two seasons, Marina says, first two, I watched the first two seasons, they're bollocks. Um, <laughs> um, for me that was such a turning point. The Best of Both Worlds was like, we can tell big stories. Mm. And actually if it wasn't for Best of Both Worlds, Star Trek's trajectory to get to this point could never have happened. And indeed, Picard wouldn't have happened. It's lovely to see Jonathan Delarco back. I'm hoping that character will be gay. He's already said he's dedicated it to his... Because um, he's played Hugh in The Next Generation. Uh, it, well, what was lovely, though, is... Um, because he was in Voyager as well, Jonathan Delarco. He was Phantomi. Um, you know, when the doctors got those little creatures that are that only work in the dark. Right, it's, right, it's, right. It's Jonathan Delarco goes from Hugh, um, <laughs> and he's back. But he he has it rather beautifully. He's based the character on um, one of his ex-partners who died of AIDS, which I think he right. was with when he was doing the Next Generation. And I'm sort of like for, for, for telling you the stories I have as a gay man and Star Trek's influence in my life. That's immensely powerful Mm -hmm. to me to know that of course that young gay actor who I don't know if he was out at the time um, you know playing a Hugh who has a beautiful friendship with Geordie which is it's just beautiful it's like a child you know and and Hugh is always really gay anyway tell by the eyepiece you know and that beautiful story about having to be part of the collective but wanting to be an individual knowing he's a gay actor you know those are the little things which enable me to forgive Trek a little bit. Mm. Because maybe maybe the audiences weren't ready, but there were some fantastic gay actors that were that were being employed by Star Trek. Here's to the next generation is all I can say. Mm. And that's not just the the series, that's to where Star Trek is going. Because I think it's on course. And that course is probably Second star to the right and straight on till morning.
1: Um, before we go, though, mate, you have your own podcast. Tell us a bit about that.
2: If you want to um, listen to me chatting with some friends, um, including Terry Farrell, Dominic Keating, Gary Graham, who I mentioned earlier, do a check out I think called the Show People podcast with Andrew Keats. It's available on all good podcasting platforms, but iTunes is the easiest one. Um, and it's basically a podcast that I created because I was getting really frustrated um, obviously I've spoken about Star Trek this entire podcast, and there is no podcast where I've only spoken about Star Trek ever, so this is an exclusive. Usually what I do is talk about theatre. Um, this was a podcast I created as a way for actors, something to listen to when they're on their way to their survival job or their pay-the-bills job, um, and when they're not working, to listen to me chatting with other actors about the uh, the highs and lows of being an actor. And funny enough, most of the conversations with Um, The Star Trek actors that I've had on when they've either been staying with me or that we've been doing an event together is actually not necessarily about all the great things about Trek. It's about the things that were tough. And yeah, it's called the Show People podcast with Andrew Keats. Please um, do give us um, a like and subscribe. Uh, You can also check out my blog as well, which is at andrewkeats.co.uk. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew Keats. Instagram, Mr. Andrew Keats. Uh, we will see lots of pictures of me and my cat. Um, <laughs> and you spell Keats, K-E-A-T-E-S because I spend my life with people saying, Keats like the poet. No. Uh, there's an extra E. Oh, K-E-A-T-E-S. No. Uh, it's K-E-A-T-E-S. Oh, I did, but so it is like the poet. No, he's spelled it K E A That is my life. Uh, um, and this has been lovely. And If I'm not on the Spotlight podcast at least once a year, I will hunt you down and kill you.
1: We'll make it an annual tradition, mate. And, yeah, no, I've listened to the Show People podcast. I listened to the Dominic Keating episode. It was really good. Yeah, any Star Trek fans are definitely going to get something out of that. And just if you're interested in kind of acting in general and theatre, definitely um, have a listen. Yeah, it's really uh, interesting stuff. And you're still, obviously, directing... Uh, On the stage, what's up next? What's up next? After we saw Dark Sublime, obviously, when that was on, it It was was
2: great. Um, what I'm coming? um, uh, Nothing I can actually announce, which is rather tedious. Um, I've just done a lovely, um, a lovely kids musical called Terror at the Sweet Shop, which was uh, working with these amazing young kids. Uh, It was a lovely, (laughs) it was just a lovely little thing, which is all about a lot of kids um, of different backgrounds that come together to fight a witch. Um, So that was fun. Uh, I have got some things coming up. I guarantee you at some point me and Marina Sirtis will absolutely do another play together um, because she's just somebody I adore uh, working with. And indeed there's lots of other Star Trek actors that, you know, are saying to me, oh my God, the play was great, can we do something? So, you know, maybe I should form a theatre company where I just do plays with Star Trek actors. Well, yeah, I was about to yes, say, it's
1: kind of that thing of, yeah. it, it,
3: like maybe you I say, should. create it's... a new bridge of crew just made of all these various people. Well, <laughs> the thing is,
2: the thing is, like, all of these actors, it's funny, you know... When, as as somebody with so some many of these people in my life, you know the one thing they really never want to talk about is Star Trek, and often it's one thing I don't really want to talk to them about, mm-hmm. um, because all of them were young actors, you know, went to Juilliard or you know, uh, trained over here. You know, Marina went to Guildhall, uh, fine, fine drama school. They were all once young actors who just wanted to tell stories for a living, and uh, I. As much as I, lo- I love the fan community, and I am part of that fan community, and I am a fan, I just think it's always really important to remember that these guys have other things as part of their work, and some of their work really is truly very, very fine. And always to remember that the, the, the perception of the, of the person that you've seen in Star Trek is almost 100% across the board, Never like the character they play. Marina said something which always always makes me laugh. She says it at conventions when she comes on because she's got no filter and I wouldn't have her any other way. She's like, Do you know what me and uh, Councillor Troy have got in common? Our height. And I have to say that my my friendship with and uh, both professional and and indeed heartfelt real friendship with Marina Sirtis, um is worth so very much more than it ever would be with Councillor Troy. You know, like like Mm. all things, like Star Trek, like these actors, like the work that I do. It's it's always about how you bring
3: yourself. Mm. To a piece of art and Star Trek, I think is a very fine piece of art, and you can truly keep them separate then as well, can't you? You Can enjoy Troy in the show and Marina in the life. Yeah, you can. Not have to worry about like, oh, I'm kind of hanging out with Troy now. Not have to even worry about that. That's great. It is funny though. It is funny.
2: <laughs> it's funny. You say, it's funny you say that because I mean, I mean Dominic Keating, you make, there's a picture of me and Dominic over there. Um, I mean, Dominic is you know, I mean, he's a he's a bloody old curmudgeon. but I've been really poorly recently. I don't know if you saw on Twitter, I've been really poorly. You know, he's texting me. He's like, I'm thinking of you, love. You know, and. We have shared moments together, like really heartfelt moments about how tough this bloody business is. The performing arts is not easy. The the people you see going up on the convention and being treated like rock stars, that's great. But then they've got to go home and then pay the bills.
4: Mm.
2: And um, Dominic Keating and I have been there for each other in some very, very dark fucking times in our life. Whether it's been the end of my relationship with my fiancé to moments in his life and... um, it's funny, sometimes watching an episode of... Because I'd never seen Enterprise before I met Dominic, funnily. Because right. I was always told, don't watch it. <laughs> um, and Dominic always agrees. He goes, but shuttle pod 1's uh, all right. Um, <laughs> what is so lovely is my... He's an actor from Star Trek, but my friend is Dominic Keating. And... Um, it is sometimes strange when fans do come up to me and they're talking to me about the series, and I find myself rolling my eyes, being like, "Oh, shut up! Come on!" <laughs> and then I have to remember my ten-year-old self, who would have been, who was thrilled when I met Tony Todd, you know, uh, from *The Visitor* and Worf's Brother Kern and then was terrified when I watched *The Candyman*. It was like I don't want to watch this. Anymore. <laughs> the, the these people are our heroes, and, and many of them have informed the personalities we have. And um, to live in a world. With the very people that, that that mastered and puppeteered those characters yeah. is a deep honour, and um, they all need to start paying you rent for a lot of time.
3: <laughs> <the next> <laughs> well, you say how much, you know, that the Trek's just one facet of their career, and I think that's where that's helped us with our interview episodes. Yeah. Being, yeah. That, being that we are a Trek podcast without as much in-depth knowledge, when it, people we've had on, we've been interested in, like, let's chat the Trek stuff and then get to your
1: bigger body of work and well some I think people... because we are all film buffs ourselves we all studied film at university and everything like that we're as, as interested in that other work as we are Trek in all honesty yeah. so it's that thing of we're often like okay let's front load the Trek get that out of the way <laughs> and then get on to your other stuff because you also did this this and this yeah. and often when we've interviewed yeah. people from the Trek world they've been like holy shit I haven't talked about this stuff in like 50 years or something <laughs> like, you know I mean. and then it's just because because it's not the stuff they yeah. tend to be asked Well, about. that's why it was so funny that Bob Salim,
3: producer Rafa Khan... Yeah, that's amazing. Being our first interview and That he is was...
2: amazing, by the way, guys. Yeah. I'm not being funny, like, kudos.
1: <laughs> yeah, that and was incredible. It was...
2: I'm, I'm, I'm sure on the wish list, sort of, you know, Bob, Andrew, oh... You... we we'll go going yeah, Bob first. Like, that.
3: But to me, like, he was someone who obviously had just been chatting about Rafa Khan when he's been interviewed by
1: Trek Publications. And yeah. we were like, tell us about... Your, well, your he, movie he directed The Picasso Summer, starring yeah. Albert Finney. Yeah. I was straight away, I was like, you directed a fucking movie starring Albert Finney? Let's hear about yeah. that. He was second unit director on Assassins, and obviously yeah. I'm a massive Stallone fan, so I was like, let's hear about I that. love
2: that. That's but a yeah. phrase I've never heard in my life. Obviously, I'm a massive Sim. <laughs> <Like, laughs>
1: like, obviously, I'm a massive Sim. Sly, massive my main man. Like, and he also directed over 2,000 commercials. Like, he's had this mm, amazing other career. Like, you know, and <laughs> so that really, that really yeah. set the tone for those interviews. It's episodes. called an interview <laughs> these days, isn't it?
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> slave labour. Um, <laughs> do you know? But, but, do you, it is love. It is lovely to talk about that. I mean, it's it's funny as an, as a director, I get so many emails from people going <laughs> to whom it may concern. I'm a huge fan of your work. And, you, and there's nothing about the work you've done. And actually, as much as we do get paid for the work that we do, and I sadly did not produce The Wrath of Khan. In fact, you should talk to Larry Nemechek, uh, Dr. Trek himself, because he made The Khan of Wrath, which is the documentary about The Wrath of Khan, and obviously he wrote for Voyager. That's and, it, yeah. And he's, he's made, and yeah, he's great. But you've got to remember that we as artists, like when we do take on the projects, yes, we have bills to pay, but we do turn a lot of projects down. I turn a lot of projects down, certainly. And these guys much more successful than I am Will as well. You know, we only take on a project when we are... Excited about doing it, you know. Um, Dark sublime came into my hands. via Mark Gatiss. Mm. Um, it was my birthday, having a big party in the West End. Mark came in hobbling, looking like Richard the uh, Third. I was like, "You're right." I, went, I had an awful lot of pain. I went, "Right?" Um, I slipped on some ice. I said, like, "Right?" Um, and we started. I, I said, I've got to go. And he said, "But you must read Dark Sublime, written by a friend of mine." What's Dark Sublime about? And he was very clever. He went. It's about an ageing 1970s science fiction actress. I think we should read it. And of course I read it. And, um, you know, that brand new playwright, Michael Dennis, it's his very first play. And it is, when I read it, I fell in love with it. And there was nobody on the planet, in my humble opinion, that could have served it in the way that I did. And secondly, there is nobody who would have played that role finer than Marina Sirtis. And I can say on the podcast, I've told this story before, um, when I sent it to her to read... The character she played was called Marianne. She's called Marina. And um, the character swears and is,
4: mm.
2: you know, going to conventions and <laughs> desperately after work. And my <laughs> phone went at whatever time. It was in the morning. I can't remember when I, was, when I had a study. My phone went, it was Marina, and knew she goes, hello, darling, or something like that. All I got was, it's my fucking life. And, it, and I said, "Make me too. And the show, for those who don't know what Dark Splime is about, is about a young gay guy. From Bournemouth, interestingly, um, who seeks out a aging science fiction actor uh, because he has a podcast, and <laughs> I promise you, there is nobody on the fucking planet who could have who could have understood them as people better than me and Marina. And because I think in the wrong hands, it could have been a send up. Mm. You hear sci-fi fan, you think of the comic book guy in The Simpsons. Mm. Science fiction, some of the most intelligent people in the world, lawyers, doctors, surgeons, I know, are closet Star Trek fans. And I've often said, you know, coming out as gay, not a problem. Coming out as HIV, that's quite hard. But coming out as a Star Trek fan is the (laughs) hardest thing in the world on a day. (laughs) When people have come back and gone, what's that? Oh, it's um, oh, I don't know. It's a prop from an old show. <laughs> Is it a tricorder? Yes, let's fuck. You know, <laughs> kind of gonna... thank God, thank God, you know, it's a tricorder. Um, so <laughs> it's funny. It, it it it's funny, but I suppose it's no different to train enthusiasts and all the other strange things that that people fall in love with and, and makes people happy. And Star Trek makes me happy. Mm. Again, it you know, I, I never had bedtime stories as a little boy. I had have said Star Trek, and I, I bet there's lots of people that are the same. Mm. Um now whatever happened to like, Santa Troy? Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean you have a show that so accurately puts a mirror to your own life. I mean it was strange for you and me, Liam, sat there watching it when there's like a scene of, of, of the of the main chat character like interviewing Marina on a yeah, podcast yeah, yeah. like inches away and I'm thinking, Oh, this is kind of what we're trying to do she really, be but, people
2: on podcast. But think about that. Think about that for a second. Think about that scene. Can you remember what the what it looked like? Around this table. That table, yeah. and it was a dictaphone on a tripod. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah,
3: sorry. The are, table has come full circle. We you are literally,
2: just... <laughs> literally. You have literally <laughs> recreated the scene from my play. It's why when I sat down here, I was looking at it
1: going... <laughs> i mean, my fucking play <laughs> um, We haven't got the spaceship lights underneath yeah. it, though. Like. They're in the airing <laughs> cupboard. <encombed. laughs> they are. They really are. Um, they're in the airing uh, cupboard. There was a great bit of production design, actually. Like, um, in, t- in the play, in Dark Sublime, the set is multifaceted, so you can go between the realistic scenes of, kind of uh, Marina's flat... Uh, in it and also recreations of the This flat. Yeah yeah, basically it is this flat. Yeah, yeah it
2: is because do you know why? Because that great production designer, and he is, his name is Tim McQuillan Wright, was sat where you are and looked around my flat and he went, it's basically this, isn't it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is very, very similar. Like and then it turns into you get recreations of the old seventies TV show uh the Marina's character was meant to have been in. But what uh, that absolutely
2: wasn't Blake Seven.
1: It definitely it It's Blake 7. very reminiscent of Blake Seven. I was it's more reminiscent of something like Blake Seven than Star Trek TNG. TNG.
2: Sorry, that was uh, my earring <laughs> <laughs> uh I, I know but like but 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 the, the thing is with fandom is um fandom is a it, it it's the, the closest thing that it have is unrequited love mm. you know and 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 that's what was so lovely about that play the the, the play yes, it had the backdrop of the sci-fi show mm. and and the fact that they met as we are now, we're meeting talking about sci-fi, but that doesn't mean to say that in two years' time I don't have your numbers in my phone and we don't become friends. You know, it's 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 the subjects that we care about that then bring together the diverse people that that, that we have in our lives. And that play was really about the unrequited love between Rena's character and Jacqueline King's character, um, about two people that are in love but were not in a relationship.
1: Mm. And Which was a surprise twist for me there's that reveal of they're more than just friends or at least she wants them to be more than just friends Well like that, they, they,
2: they are absolutely in love but it's not it's again it's that thing of what, what do we call relationships and and what I loved about the play is it did what great science fiction does, in that it's bringing you in under what you're looking at, what they're talking about is one thing, but the, but the subtext is a very different thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's essentially in The Pale Moonlight that we just discussed is, is fundamentally about getting the Romulians into battle, but is it? No, it's about something so much more than that, and mm-hmm. it's about the choices we make, the responsibilities we have, and the, the repercussions we face. And for me, that's great drama and great comedy. One thing that I think Star Trek has always been quite good at is having a slightly British ideal of there being some slight tongue-in-cheek humour throughout. You know, Star Trek has some great tongue-in-cheek humour. Sometimes it takes it a little bit too far. Sometimes it's absolutely not funny. Early seasons of Next Gen come to mind immediately. <laughs> but there is that... There's, a lot of Star Trek and a lot of the actors, Jeff Combs especially, Andrew Robinson especially, they know what they're doing because they're not taking themselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think that's possibly because... Yes, they're proud of the work they're doing, but they're also acknowledging I've been in four hours' worth of makeup. I'm going to have fun with this. <laughs> yeah. And I can because I'm on a fucking space station and I'm playing a what? A Cardassian? Great, then I will, I will do this truthfully, but I'm going to have fun. I'm going to be a... a I'm going to use melodrama in this <clears> particular scene. As a director, that's delicious because I don't need to take it as seriously as perhaps maybe some fans do. So Avery Brooks being... Talking about the way he does sometimes is hysterically funny to me, but I forgive it. William Shatner, <laughs> playing our bastards, killed my son, breaks my heart, but it's also
3: dreadful.
1: It's funny, you know. going to defend William Shatner. Yeah, right? i may I, I Because good. Shatner, right, I, this, this is something we come back to quite a few times on the podcast. What, William Shatner. But yeah, because at one point, uh, earlier on in the podcast, I can't quite remember what it was, but earlier on in our run, I made an argument that I was like, oh, Chris Pine is a better actor than William Shatner. That's not true. William Shatner's great as Kirk, but Chris Pine more versatile stuff like that. And now, as we've gone on over time, and I've watched more, I'm like, no, actually, you know what? Shatner's amazing. Like, watching a lot of those early original series episodes, I think he smashes it so many times.
2: I think young Shatner was a different man to... Rich Shatner. Yeah, i agree. You know, I think young Shatner with a good director uh, was actually a a bit magic. And let's talk about Rafa Khan, because I'm going to. Um, You know, of all the souls I've met around, like, his was the most... Um, Yes, it's funny, the human bit, but actually it touches me every single time. And when he and Leonard Nimoy, after Spock has died, and they're behind the radiation chamber, that scene behind the glass is just one of the greatest scenes in cinema history. Let's call it that. Let's not just call it all that rather nice scene in Rafa Khan. <laughs> it is one of the finest pieces of cinematography. Uh-huh. That glass is dead already, seeing Jimmy Dewan looking at his cast member, not knowing if actually Leonard's ever going to come back. It's stunning. Um, DeForest Kelly in all of those movies. Funny, touchy. All of those great actors paved the way for everybody else to do what they do. And it's interesting. All of the actors that everyone tends to call the great and the good are the theatre actors. Kate Mulgrew has done television, is a theatre actor through and through. Avery Brooks, fundamentally theatre actor, indeed is a a professor of drama at the moment, isn't he, in um, America. Patrick Stewart, look, he's bloody fine. Um, Bill Shatner is the difference. Yes, he did bad Canadian Shakespeare, um, <laughs> the Stratford Festival, um, but he was also in the original production of Bus Stop on Broadway. Our captains are all theatre actors. Uh, Scott Bakula, musical theatre man, and Quantum Leap, of course, which is also one of my favourite TV shows ever. I wonder why they could
1: get in the Always Sunny musical, say. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: How did they know that my wife took it all? And I'm not researching roles, how did they know? Ziggy, if you hear me, take me far, far from here. Let me leap to '89. That was a better year. I miss my old Camaro and my mansion in Van Nuys. Wish I still hung with Nash Bridges, played poker with a folk guy. Oh, Ziggy, can you see my tears? Far, far from here
2: I, I just wish sometimes people would realise that with the structure, the performance style, the costumes, the dramatic setting, everything Star Trek is theatre, just with better lightings and sound effects and visual effects 100%
1: Right, it's been fucking great Do you know uh, I, I've had reviews light. in The Guardian and I've never had Andrew. Fucking great! If fucking I, great. Five stars. Five uh, it, it's been great chatting in the pale moonlight and really good start to this kind of new run of episodes.
2: Uh, oh, am I? Am I the emissary? Am I the pilot?
1: You, you what? For this new, for this new <laughs> run, you totally are. Yeah, no, it's been really fantastic. Um, you can find us at Spotlight Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Come find us. Tell us all the things we got wrong in the episode. But don't turn up at their
3: houses. <laughs> yeah, don't do, don't do that. Because that's please. weird.
1: Please, please we'll be stop.
3: back real please soon with another one of these. Yeah, we? yeah, we've
1: got a few of these planned yeah. out now, and we're going to be having Stephen Chumble on to mm-hmm. talk about the best of both worlds. James Dyer from Empire Magazine is going to be joining us to talk about Chain of Command. <gasps> Great uh, choice. Yeah, there are four lights. <laughs> we can't wait. It's going. To I, be I forgot that Sue Pollard was being tortured. <laughs> <in place>. <laughs> 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 but until then, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from my co-host Paul. Goodbye from my co-host Matt. Bye bye, and from our guest Andrew Keats. Thank you very much.
2: Goodbye.